And a good run back, and Prescott had two interceptions in 12 games. Two tonight, and it's Beckham making the catch. And off to the races he goes. Carr chasing him down. Can't get him. Touchdown, Giants. They take the lead. We were just talking about that highlight of the Beckham touchdown. I think one of the coolest things about that video is watching him do the moonwalk in cleats. <laughs> I mean, that's got to be that's got to be a pretty impressive feat to be able to do. I mean, I can't do moonwalking. No, I don't know sandals, socks, right? Uh, yeah, whatever is easiest. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> cleats has got to be the Skates. toughest. <laughs> uh, all right, we've made it to the season finale of season six of the Sportscasters. It's episode thirty-four. That's a little bit on the low side for us, but yes, babies and babies and life. And yeah, yeah. You know, it's weird too because I was doing a chart today for the segment later where we talk about the guests mm-hmm. since the book club's over. Okay, and we were off to a blazing start. Like the first four months of the year, we did a show almost every week. Yeah, and then we just faded down the stretch. Well, your baby's what a June baby. Yeah, right? it was right around there, and we just started the to, summer to just fade and. And you get didn't get as many in, yeah. but uh, I don't think it matters. It's we'll be back for season seven in 2017. Was this a Daveless year? It was, right? Yeah, interesting. I, I can't get him to respond to me. Yeah, we're convinced maybe he's got a different phone or something, right? And that's the thing too, because I don't have any other way to contact him necessarily, right? So I don't know. Uh, on the show today, uh, to close it out strong, Joe Buck. Uh, will join us. He'll be the first guest. And another sportscaster's legend, Richard Deitch. Are these done to break down the fourth wall? Yes, they're done. Do you get into Joe Buck on Corolla at all? Does he know he's a soundbite now? No. (laughs) (laughs) We did get into, like, appearances he liked. Yeah. And I think he said he enjoyed doing that one. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, man, with Buck, Buck's the example of a guy that's like, you have 30 things you'd like to talk about. Sure. And you're like three deep and 40 minutes have gone by. Right. And you're like, fuck. People are so wrong about him, too. I know we say that all the time. Yeah. His, his persona compared to... If you don't like him because you don't like the way he calls a game, fair enough. Sure. If you don't like him because you think he's a smug, or sticking to mud or something. Yeah. It's wrong. Yeah. We were texting... I think it's on the end of the, end of the interview. I can't remember if it was that or off air. But he's a big St. Louis Blues fan. Mm-hmm. And I was telling him about how Kenny's the oh, lead, yeah, yeah. leading scorer for Their age, the AHL team. He's third in the AHL right now. Congrats to Kenny. Yeah. Got another point today. He's all alone in third place in AHL scoring. Uh, but I mentioned it to him. And uh, he asked me how I knew him. And we got kind of talking. And we talked about the Deitch and the pictures thing. Oh, okay. I sent him a couple articles on text. And the last text he sent to me yesterday at the end of the day was, I'm glad I got to know you. Nice. So I know he's just a, he's just a really yeah. nice guy. So yeah, I mean, how accessible he is for a guy at or near the top of the his field. I mean, I I talk about Kroll a lot, but he talks about Jimmy Kimmel that way. Like Jimmy Kimmel, right. he, Adam can send him an email, and he's going to get an email back from Jimmy Kimmel right away. And I don't know, man. These guys that should be the least accessible because of how successful they are seem. I don't know. Must go hand in hand. That if you're a nice dude and a hard worker, it goes a long way. All right, so we're going to do three things in a second. Then we'll do Joe Buck. 
Uh, the book club is done for the year, so instead, after Joe Buck, we're going to review the guests, talk about first-time guests, multi-guests. We'll talk about the year and guests. We'll do it quickly. Uh, then we'll have Deitch on, and then we'll finish the season with one last thing. Let's play a game. All right. Count of three. One. All righty. I'll take it off. Two. The oil patterns on a PBA lane are very, very difficult. I might be able to beat Jamarcus Russell at quarterback. <laughs> this is the funnest night ever. <laughs> Did we just become best friends? Yep. Now let's move on to other business. Real quick, before we get into three things. Yes. I don't know if we mentioned it in the last podcast or if things were fixed at the last podcast, but you should be able to get the podcast everywhere you were able to before now. The podcatchers are a little strange. Right. In the podcatcher that I use... Um, did I you was have not to do something. You know what? Their website is old, so I don't know that it's not updated or their website's not updated anymore. But I was able, to, or I was supposedly supposed to be able to submit the podcast to their search engine. It didn't seem like that works, but the podcatcher I use does let you search iTunes. Okay. So if you're using Podkicker, which is the one I use, or maybe other ones are similar. And you can search iTunes. Just search iTunes for Sports Dash Casters. It'll pop right up. Yeah, and some podcatchers you might have to unsubscribe and resubscribe. Yeah, maybe. That worked on Downcast. Okay. You know, it was almost like it was using... Like, I, I deleted it off of Downcast. Like, I had never used it. Searched for it. It came right up. Re-added it, and it was, you know, normal. But I know we've said this before, and early on when we started paying attention to these apps and stuff if you can't get it anywhere let us know and we'll right. figure out why and hopefully during the break we'll kind of fix up the soundcloud page and yeah normalize all the episodes and yeah that was weird too. that might take a month or two though. i i have to edit especially the dates i have to do them in reverse for some reason because we had the dates on there for like five episodes and the pod kicker app i was using put the undated ones in front of the dated ones so for some reason all the newest ones that were did have the dates on them went to the bottom so Maybe over break, when I get some time, I'll just start to date them all in reverse order so they're all for archival purposes. All right, good good point. Speaking of three things, uh, we were going to start that. Uh, on Sunday, there was a report that maybe Rex Ryan was going to be fired Yeah, that night. Didn't happen. Nope. Uh, but it makes you think that it's more likely to than not at this point. Um, what are your thoughts on that? You're the Bills fan. My problem is... And so, uh, you get these time hop things or whatever it's called, the on this day thing on Facebook. And the same thing came up about Marone a while ago. The only thing you could argue about Doug Marone when he was here is that maybe the players played for him. But his expertise was offensive line. And the offensive line under Doug Marone was bad. Rex Ryan's expertise is supposed to be the defense, and that's what's holding them back. I mean, it, it seems like if you point to each individual player on the defense that they're pretty good players but the defense is not good the offense is putting up 25 points a game you should be better than whatever their record is i think as an outsider the bills more than anything need stability yeah maybe and if they're gonna say right now we we're gonna forego that they should really go top to bottom and clean out don't just kick the coach out if you're gonna fire the coach i think you should fire the gm you should fire anyone who doesn't own the team should be fired at that point yeah, because if you're gonna sacrifice stability now, st- go all the way with it. If not, stay with what you have and, and give the guy five years. And I still think that there's no way to avoid this. But whoever's in place now, whether it be the quarterback or the coach or the GM, he's gonna pay for the sins 
of the 16 years before them. Yes, I do agree with that. If this is a team who had it four years ago, had five straight playoff berths, or even let's say they were the Saints. Mm -hmm. You're not hearing the kind of things in New Orleans that you're hearing with in Buffalo despite three unsuccessful seasons in a row. I was going to ask you that. Uh, I'll talk about Tyrod Taylor in my one last thing. So, So that's an interesting perspective you have there on the bills maybe they do need stability i know watkins is kind of saying like i want to be here for life but i want to stop starting over like yeah so and that's going to be terrible for taylor if they're going to bring him back and that's another thing if they're going to get rex they should get rid of him too i mean like if they're going to make a draw a line in the sand anywhere right they should draw it all the way across the board yeah i agree with that um i was thinking this the other day uh maybe i was reading your twitter handle you Give Peyton a lot of grief for a guy that maybe is an apologist sometimes for the Saints. You, is he is he a great coach? Is he a pretty good coach? Hmm. I love is, Peyton. Do you? Okay. So I mean, because you question a lot of his maybe not uh, necessarily X's and O's stuff. You question a lot of like his decisions. Like this is a stupid challenge. It's a pointless challenge. You know, or, but he's smarter. Why than don't me. we go for it on fourth here? His challenges sometimes are. Strange, but all NFL coaches are that way because yeah. they don't get to see what we do. Well, right. You know what I mean? They're standing there on the sideline and they're listening to other people. Uh, but that's on him to make that process better. But um, I like him a lot. Look, at the record isn't going to bear out necessarily that this team improved much, or it's going to be it's going to look about the same. Mm-hmm. But the 2016 Saints are one million times better than the 2014 Saints. And they're five hundred thousand times better than the two thousand fifteen Saints. Yeah, and so they a lot, lost a lot of close games. They made a decision in two thousand fourteen that they were going to flip the locker room. They're going to change the culture. They're going to take huge salary cap hit with Junior Galat and right. just kick him out the door. They weren't going to stand for a guy whipping a girl on the beach with a belt. When does that fall off? You know they're going to enter free agency with about twenty million dollars okay. or so in cap room, if not a little bit more. They, I think, have really, Mike Triplett, who covers the team for ESPN, kind of said they're in a position, if they want, to really go all in for 2017. And it would make a lot of sense with the age of their quarterback. Right, yeah, sure. It was a likable team this year. Uh, If they could have learned how to kick, we'd still be talking about playoff chances. Right. You know, if they would have beat Denver and the Giants and... Whatever the thing was, a Carolina, the other one where we lost because we couldn't kick. I can't even remember. I don't know. Yeah, it was one of those teams that every week they found a new way to lose. You know, and early in the season it was because the offense was bad or the defense was bad. Later in the season, when the defense kind of caught up, the offense had a couple bad weeks and they lost some games and they lost because the special teams in the middle. Uh, but man, they're a likable team and they play hard and they're a good group and they don't embarrass me. Uh, and they got great young receivers, like really good young players all over. And the only it's like the only thing you wish is that Drew Brees was thirty, not thirty-eight. <laughs> right. You know, because I think the core everywhere is really good, really, really good young players. And uh, I think next year they'll make a. Now the thing that you worry about with the twenty million free dollars is they've made some bad decisions in free agency. Now, with that said, some of those bad decisions, we all universally across the board thought they were great. Was there anyone who thought C.J. Spiller was a bad decision? No, but that was no. cheap, too. Everyone it? thought, wow, what a great free agent signing. The right. one that people didn't agree with was Kobe Fleener, and those people were right. Yeah, I guess I mean, he so. He sucks. I guess so. He sucks. Uh, he can't catch, which is a big problem when 
you know, <laughs> your job. you're playing with Drew Brees' offense. Right. Uh, but no, I'm fine with them. I'm I'm good going forward. I wish they would have won a few more games this year, and they could have. And if they would have, they might be in the thick of a bad six seed. You know, I mean, like six and six, you're right in it. You know, and instead they're well. Is that even a possible record right now? I guess not. Seven and six, you're Se- right. Yeah, in you'd it. have to probably be seven and six. You know, you're right in it. And Tampa Bay has made a surge, and they're all of a sudden the sixth team at eight and five. So. Seven and six, you're right in it, and you got a game coming up against Tampa Bay. Sure. If you're them. Right. You know, and instead they couldn't kick and lost those games. You know, and they lost the game week one because they couldn't stop a two point play at the end. You know, and then they led that game all oh, the way right. against the Raiders. Oh, right, yeah. You know, so you look back at that game. It's like, oh, man, if we could have stopped a two point play. Yeah. You know, then the next week they lose in the Giants. They lose the game 14 10. Giants don't score any touchdowns except for the one on a blocked field goal return for a touchdown you maybe if you can kick a field goal you win that game you know the we know what happened against uh denver with the extra point right. return two, kick an extra point maybe you win that game carolina same thing missed kick cost them on thursday night but so who do you like i mean at this point i know we don't have a lot for three things so that's why i keep yeah. talking about football no uh is I don't, it dallas is to lose is it in the pitch? nfc i mean Maybe in the in the entire league. Man, Atlanta's a little scary in the NFC. I'm hoping they're just going to be the choking dogs they always are. Yeah, there's. What did they start out the season at? They had a real good record to start the year, didn't they? I mean, I don't guess they the, still have a good record? Yeah, they're eight and five. They went three and two in their last five. So I guess in the first five they couldn't have been, or in the first eight they couldn't have been. They're just, better. you know what? They're a lot better team at home. Yeah, they're tough to beat in that dome, uh, but their defense is heated up all of a sudden. Vic Beasley's been a beast. Uh, I don't know. I know the NFL is dying for, like, Oakland-Dallas. Wouldn't it be like the NFL? I said this to Richard. The story all year has been about the the mess that the ratings have been. Yeah. And then they're going to end the season with Oakland and Dallas shatter the <laughs> Super Bowl record. Yeah. And you'll never think about it ever again. But I don't know. Uh, what else we got? Uh, nothing, really. We could probably cut it, right? You want to go to Buck? I mean, we got to force this. Is there anything else you want to talk about? No, uh, no. I mean, I'm looking at the I'm looking at the headlines here on ESPN. Um, someone with the Bills is opposed to the Rooney Rule. All right, we're not going to get into that. <laughs> uh, uh, Brandon Marshall's upset about something. Uh, Josh Hamilton's cleared to work out for Texas. Okay. Um, the Moorhead State coach has resigned. Okay. Uh, I mean, there are two other leagues going on, but I mean, hockey doesn't get into the news this early in the year unless someone got crushed on a dirty hit, and we don't really follow. Basketball we'll talk more about time. hockey and basketball and college basketball after the break. Right. We got great guests. Yeah, we got nothing to say. We did football. Right. All right. So we're gonna take a break. <laughs> sure. Come back with Joe Buck. Here's the one. This is going to be a tough play. Bryant, the Cubs, with the wide series. Bryant makes the play. It's over. And the Cubs. All right, our next guest is from St. Louis, Missouri, 
and he studied at Indiana before he turned pro. He's been with Fox Sports since 1995. He's covered the World Series and Super Bowls and really doesn't need an introduction anyway. He's making his third appearance on the show today. A warm welcome to Joe Buck. What's up, Joe? We've already done two of these. This is number three. Hard to believe. Yep, yep, yep. It only took Lee Jenkins 20 to get sick of me, so. Wow. Well, I, I don't think I can get sick of you. I don't. I don't think that's possible. <laughs> no, Lee's not sick of me. He's just busy. Uh, <laughs> At least I would never admit it. Yeah, neither would he. Um, <laughs> I, I want to talk about the book. I'm excited to talk about the book, but we got to back up a second, and we got to talk about the fall a little bit because, man, that was a sick fall, right? I mean. Last time we talked, actually, I asked you what you were looking forward to more, the baseball playoffs or the football season. And I think you even said that you know it was the baseball playoffs, but I don't think you would have dreamed of it being as good as it ended up being. Yeah, for a lot of reasons. Obviously, because it was the Cubs and it was the Indians, um, it's a great matchup. You know, if you have the Indians, by the way, against anybody else, the Indians and, and their long history of suffering is the story but they end up playing the cubs who we all know by now had won in over a hundred years and uh and then you get the series that we got which was indians going up three games to one and the cubs winning three in a row uh, winning that last game at home game five which was a great game and then winning game six which was not a great game but it led to game seven and all the drama that was in game seven and then you know, I've done a bunch of these World Series. I've done 19, and I've only had a handful of Game 7s to get 10 innings in Game 7 with all that was on the line. I mean, that's uh, that's as intense as baseball can get. You know, that's that's the beauty of the sport where one pitch, one swing, and good night. It's over. And, and you, you know, you, you play that last call. Uh, it's something I'm sure I'll be listening to for the rest of my life, and uh, and I'm I'm glad I was there and able to see it. The Cubs didn't make it easy for you in the National League or in the World Series. Those are both kind of tough plays to call because it's not like a long fly ball where you get to wait for him to settle under it and kind of get yourself ready to make the call. Both times it's like, is this a play he's going to make? Now, Bryant made the play in the World Series look a little bit easier than I think it probably seemed like it might off the bat there but what was it like calling the national league and the world series calls because they both seemed like they weren't easy ones weren't gimmies yeah no you're right um if i'm not mistaken i think the national league championship series ended on a double play yeah is that right Mm -hmm. uh and you know you got to get the call right so you know you know you're going to hear the call like as as i do this interview with you you know you're going to hear it back so you better get it right first of all, and in the double play, the case of the double play, um, it was bang, bang. It was close. And uh, thankfully, you know, I I, I was kind of leading. You can kind of hedge your bet a little bit as you can see the play unfold, but it was close at first base. You're right about the the game seven, tenth inning play that Brian made uh, because off the bat, that ball was going nowhere. and The guy could fly, but they were in to guard against a bunt, which made a lot of sense. So the defensive positioning was good, and then Bryant got a great jump on it, made a really good play, and then, as I'm sure you've seen a million times, his foot slips because the the grass was wet after the 17-minute rain delay, 
And that ball could have gone down the right field line. I mean, we could still be playing right now if if he doesn't somehow get that ball to first accurately. And and so again, you're trying to get the call right, and then you have to go from the immediate to the historic, I guess, where you're the first guy to call the Cubs winning the World Series on television, and you better get it correct, and you better not flub it. And uh, thankfully, it it all came out pretty clean. Are you happy with it? Absolutely. Yeah, I, I'm, I don't think I've ever come out of a game unhappy with any call. Now, I've listened to some back, and the only one that, and, and I write about it in the book, Yeah, the only one that I think sucks is uh, is game, I guess it was five the of Cardinals. the 2006 World Series with mm-hmm. the Cardinals and the yeah. Tigers, and I let all that noise of, you know, you're from St. Louis, you're rooting for St. Louis, get into my head, and consequently here they are winning their first World Series uh, since 1982, and I'm kind of low-key in it, which was terrible and inexcusable and something that I learned from and decided that I wasn't going to let that noise that you and I have talked about on this uh, show before get into my head. And so, you know, I guess you you grow and you learn and you get better. But, yeah, I, I'm proud of that. I'm proud of the McGuire call in 98 uh, for, you know, his historic home run to better Roger Maris and get to 62. And, and I, I, I really can't – it's hard to, to get out of the booth and be too critical because – you have to kind of live with what comes out and it's whether it's the last call or a pop-up in the fifth inning of a game in may i mean you have to kind of live with with what comes out in the moment how is how's uh calling the last out of a world series and getting you know and making that call of a champion how is it different than like you're getting ready to do the super bowl this year and the end of football games and the end of baseball games are drastically different unless you know, you have overtime or a situation like that. Uh, maybe a situation. Yeah, like, you no, know, you're right. Yeah, you're exactly right. And I don't know that people get that, but uh, rare is it in the NFL that you get a walk off win. And most of the time, you get a walk off, quote unquote, is at least in football with a kicker on the field. I've I've had the other. I've I've had that in the NFC Championship game in 2014, Green Bay at Seattle, with a walk off touchdown and overtime to get the Seahawks into the Super Bowl. Right, and the other Seahawks but, one was Sherman making the play on Crabtree. That was basically a walk-off. Yeah, yeah. yeah. in essence, that's in essence. a walk-off yeah. too, but yeah. it's, it's a defensive play, so it's right. kind of you know counterintuitive to, to equate a defensive play with a walk-off True. moment, but that's, that's what it was. So baseball provides that, and whether it's a walk-off home run or you know, even the play, again, this was a defensive play uh, that Chris Bryant made, so maybe I'm eating my own words as I say it, but it just doesn't feel like the NFL provides that stamp, this is it moment, unless Adam Vinatieri is standing on the field, and uh, right. or people that do what he does, and it's great, I mean, it's exciting, and you hold your breath, and you see if the kick goes through, but it doesn't have the drama, I would say, that you would get with with baseball. Right, and of course, you call the walk off in New Orleans in the NFC Championship game with Garrett Hartley. We talked about that before as well. Yeah. Uh, and there's a funny, there's a funny uh, thing on the Saints Super Bowl video, which I've been watching often this year. 
uh, to try to make myself feel better. There's a funny shot of Adrian. <laughs> there's a funny shot of Adrian Peterson on his knee on the sideline, and he went to Oklahoma, obviously, but Hartley did as well, and there were teammates there. And Adrian's like, "Mr. Hartley, you garbage, Hartley." It's really, it's just really funny. I don't know why, but uh, uh, well, I, I, I mean, you know, in in those moments. You know, it's, the beauty of it is you've got cameras and microphones everywhere, uh, and maybe the curse of it is you've got cameras and microphones okay. anywhere. I mean, that's when guys are at their most unprotected and probably their most raw. And then you see a celebration like we had in the middle of the field in Cleveland with the Cubs, and it's a bunch of grown millionaires acting like eight-year-olds in Little League, and there's just nothing better. And And so people go, well, why don't you talk? You know, why don't you... You have to say what happened, and at least on TV, totally different if I'm doing radio or if somebody's doing radio, but on TV, let it go. And and those cameras that are dragged out into the middle of that pile have microphones on them, and I want to hear them screaming and yelling and laughing and crying and whatever that's going on in that pile. I want to hear that, and I I don't want to hear it on a replay. I want to hear it live, and if I'm talking over the top of that, you're not going to hear it. And and so that's that's kind of the way I approach those moments, especially in baseball. You know, I know you were pumped about that play. One last thing about this, we'll move on. I know you were pumped about calling the World Series in general this year, being a part of the history of the Cubs, being in the World Series, and ultimately winning it. When they start pulling that tarp out, it's part of you like, oh, are you fucking kidding me? Like, is this going to be some kind of three-hour thing, and I'm making this historic call at 3 o'clock in the morning, or... What's kind of your, you and uh, you and uh, John's mindset when all of a sudden you're in the middle of one of the most historic baseball games of all time and there's a rain delay? Well, there's a lot to that. Um, first of all, the way you ask it, I mean, I, I get why you're asking it, and I'm the guest on your show. I don't really think of it as I'm going to call the the moment i i think you you could get too caught up in that maybe okay and and i I think it just trips you up i think more it's like about the game and where is this game headed if we're in some monsoon the funny thing was going into that game they had forecast uh some rain and they said uh because there's rain coming later in the night instead of starting the game at I don't know, 8.13 or whatever it was typically starting at, we're going to start the game at 8, which I was like, okay. Well, if we're we're talking about a 13-minute pickup in time. But I will tell you that when that game ended and then the the postgame was kind of going on and we were making our way out of the stadium, as we drove out, that was a monsoon. It was a downpour. And so we got lucky that the game ended when it did you know whoever wins and loses whatever but lucky with regard to the weather and you're right I mean you you see the tarp come out and it's like what is this going to do to this great game there was so much momentum and there's so much intensity and then all of a sudden the plug is pulled and you feel like are we going to get it back thankfully it was only 17 minutes and it kind of reset the whole game a little bit and it gave us a chance to go through the highlights and maybe in a weird way set up what was a really fun 10th inning because we had just come off going over the entire game and and some series highlights because we were filling for 17 minutes 
and uh, maybe it turned into a positive in the end. Gave Jason Hayward a chance to earn some of that hundred million bucks too, I guess, in the trainer's room. Yeah, I guess must have been a hell of a speech <laughs> I guess uh, so. for 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 the production that he had <laughs> in the postseason, especially. Uh, so there's been some videos around, and you've I think said it, hinted at it, but you got to give me, you know, you know, I'm a huge Pearl Jam guy. You got to give me a little bit of what's going on across the street from Wrigley after these games. I know you're there. I know Eddie's there. I know they're singing and celebrating. I seen a video of, I can't think of the think of the song they're singing, but it's like Ed and someone sitting down, and there's guitars and. Bill Murray. I mean, it's just nuts. It's surreal stuff. So you got to give me something there. Yeah. Well, I, it kind of goes into the category of name dropping and well, you can like drop big shot, Eddie Vedder but... anytime on this show because I need the stories. Um. Yeah. You know, he and I, for whatever reason, have really connected more so the last couple of years than uh, than early on. You know, I got to know him a little bit when I ran into him in Philadelphia. I guess it was oh nine, yep. oh eight or oh nine. Yep. Oh nine. And. Uh, and so we, we kind of connected a little bit and we both have daughters and, you know, Eddie one time in St. Louis gave me a shout out, dedicated one of the uh, encore songs alive. He's like, I don't know if you're still in here, Joe Buck, but this one's for you. And I didn't really know him that well. And I went down and talked to him afterward and he's a completely different guy than he was obviously earlier in his life. You know, he, he was, we were sitting in his dressing room, just talking, drinking Corona's and, uh, he said, you know, back in the day, I couldn't wait to go out, go crazy after a concert. And and now I'm taking a calligraphy class and I can't wait to go back to my room and do calligraphy. So that that's where he is in life. And he, he's just a really peaceful, great guy. Well, obviously a diehard Cub fan. I mean, to the point, it's so legitimate that it, it was really emotional for him as it was for so many, but it's not like, oh, I'm the celebrity and I'm I'm a Cub fan and I'm going to hang around. I've seen the Cubs play five times. Uh, he was around there. He was an Illinois kid. Yep. And he said the last time the Cubs were in the LCS, he was telling me he was on his bike across the street and couldn't afford to get into the stadium. And now, you know, he's hooked up with tickets and Theo and he's sitting in the box and sitting behind the home plate using Fox seats, by the way. Uh, when he was down there with John Cusack. But after games, I'd go over, put a hat on, put my head down, walk down Waveland, over into Murphy's Bleachers, go upstairs, wait for him to get over there after he was in the clubhouse. And it was like karaoke night every night. And so I'm singing karaoke with Eddie playing guitar underneath me uh, as I'm like messing around and doing stupid, funny lead-ins and then singing songs. And he and I are singing songs together. It was just unbelievable I'll, I'll never you know i've done 19 of them as i said and it's none of them have been like that because the the post game was as fun as the game and bill murray was there once when i was there cusack was there every night uh and then bonnie hunt one of the greatest sweetest uh funniest women was there uh diehard cub fan but you you, you it's also good for me to realize how big this is and how emotional it is for people in all walks of life. And, uh, you know, we had a blast one night saying karaoke till like four 30 in the morning. And, uh, Chris Chelios drove Eddie and I back to the hotel. It was kind of crazy. <laughs> Did you see the Craig Gass's video? The, the comic? He, I, I know him, but I've not seen the, I, I no, he, I've not seen whatever video you're talking. Oh, at game seven, he was, I guess where everyone else was by those Fox seats. And he just started rolling 
I guess, the pitch before the last pitch. And so it's a sick video. I mean, it basically documents Ed and Theo, who's there with his family right there. And uh, I guess that jacket that Theo's son was wearing was Eddie's jacket from when when he was a little kid. No kid. Which I don't know that nah. anybody knows that, but yeah, that that's uh, Eddie gave it to Theo's son, uh, and so that's that's the old time Cubs jacket. That's not like a retro jacket. That's a real jacket from back in the eighties. But anyway, go yeah, ahead. That, no, it's, it's just just a sweet video. You get to see all those people that we often look as superhuman being really human uh, for the last out. You know, like Bill Murray uh, is there. It's it, the video is almost centered around him a little bit. Uh, and his reaction to taking it in. And then, like, Ed is walking around going up to the different people, like, it happened, it happened. And just, it's just a really, it's a I really I can't cool tell you video. how many times Eddie has texted me. And at the end of every text, it has nothing to do with baseball. It has to do with, you know, he's in Hawaii right now and with his daughters and whatever. And then, whatever the text is about, the football game I'm doing, the last two words or it happened <laughs> so yeah that that's kind of his mantra going forward in fact i wouldn't be shocked if some song comes out that's like titled it happened because he seems obsessed with that phrase well hopefully the happiness of the world series is balanced off i'm sure his displeasure with everything else that happened in november um <laughs> yeah i've tried to cheer him up I'm like come on let's uh let's pick our heads up and and move forward and he's good he's he's all right he sent you a beautiful picture and i guess in the cockpit of a plane with him and his daughters holding up a copy of lucky bastard which i have in my hand right here and uh, i got a chance to read it and really enjoyed it and got to get a little bit more insight and um you know the, before we get into the book i want to ask you a little bit about promoting it because we often try to do these interviews with people when they're kind of at the end of the cycle, uh, because I'm really curious about how the cycle goes. What was it like for you promoting it, and how is it different? How how did people talk? Was it different the way people talked to you or interacted with you, uh, either having after read it or because it was an interview for the book? If maybe they didn't read it, like was it different? Did it feel different? And how did you enjoy it? Yeah, I mean, you can you can definitely tell. There's a lot. There's a lot of different sides to this. First of all contrary to popular belief, I'm not really great at talking about myself and I'm not used to it. You know, I can, I can go on these shows all the time, which I do and talk about, you know, the Super Bowl coming up or that year's world series or the all-star game. But when the topic is me, uh, it kind of gives me a headache in a weird way. I have some physical reaction to it, uh, but I, and I don't know why I need therapy probably for that to, to figure out why that occurs. But, First of all, I've enjoyed it, and I've, I've, I've had the chance to go on Fallon and mess around and sing on Fallon and go on Conan last week and had a blast with him. Uh, and then all these different interviews, podcasts and local shows, wherever I am, and the interviews are very different between those who've read the book <laughs> and those who haven't. Right. And and you can tell in five seconds, or at least I can, if somebody has read it or if somebody hasn't. I, I will tell you that most of the time at the end of the interview, for those who haven't, they really want to read it. And and I feel like they end up reading it. You know, I, I don't assume that a lot of people read books anymore. Um, I, I read, I'm more of a fiction reader. Daniel Silva is a guy that I read a lot of. I'm not a big sports book kind of reader. 
And so that's really how I wrote the book. Like, I, I didn't want to write a book about, uh, you know, if you want to know what happened in the World Series, Game 5 of 2003, turn to Chapter 7. And then if you want to know 2004, turn to Chapter 8. I, that's sprinkled in there, but I think you would agree that the book is more about life and my life and, you know, lessons I've learned and going through almost losing my career, going through a divorce, you know, where I come from, how I came onto this earth, um, Putting leftover getting remarried. Seafood, leftover seafood and, and, into McCarver's jacket. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly, uh, which is a cryptic teaser for the book right. uh put it when you put it that way but yeah i i've enjoyed being honest and real and talking about things that i think affect a lot of people and so it's it's been really satisfying that way it's been tiring it's been like another job but i lied to the publisher early i, I said you know i don't care if i sell one book or if i sell one million i i just want to tell this story and now that it's out, you get competitive, and it's like, well, I, I want this thing to sell a million, and and I want it, I want every, I want it on everybody's shelf in their house. Now that's not going to happen, but it has made New York Times bestseller lists, and that makes me proud that people are liking it, and then they're emailing me, you know, pouring their hearts out about my relationship with my dad and comparing it to theirs with their dad. So it's been a really cool process and, and way more rewarding than, than I thought it could be. All right, let's be real for a second since you brought up the term. When my grandfather died, at his, I was, let's see, it was 1987. I, I hadn't turned seven yet, so I was six years old. And it was the day I found out he had two families. I didn't, I didn't, mm. I didn't know yet. You know, I had no idea that my mom and aunts and uncle were his second family and that him and my grandma were never really married because his other wife would never really give him a divorce so i learned about that that day i guess if you can learn about something when you're six years older i got wise to wow you know and i know that that was a part of your life as well and also you know my mom uh and my dad had me they were very young they got divorced my mom got remarried and i had two brothers and me and my brothers are the we were three of the closest brothers in the world. We pride ourselves on it. It's very important to our identities. We have, you know, we're, I guess, I hate to even say it, we're half-brothers, but, like, I don't think any of us ever really said that. You know, it's not really a thing. But, you know, in your book, there's some there's some stuff that hurt me, like the, the lady putting the mustard on your hot dog and trying to make you feel bad, basically, by doing that and, and things like that. How hard was it to write about these kind of really personal family issues and put not only your business out there, but your dad's and everyone else associated with the family. Yeah. And, and my mom's and the only one that's really that I care about in that whole equation is my mom. Um, my dad passed away in 2002, as you know, so, right. so he's good. He's good. <laughs> he hasn't read it. <laughs> yeah. uh, so I, I think the, the word is tricky. It's, it's, not to be run DMC, but it is it is tricky to write about the fact that my dad was married with six kids uh, when he met my mom, and then I was on the way, and then he got divorced and married my mom a month before I was born at the end of April in 1969. And, uh, you know, not a lot of people know that story. And 
you know, I, I think it humanizes my dad and maybe my story a little bit. And, and I think if, if there's anything to be learned about my dad's first set of six kids is that I understand it now. You know, back then, I didn't know where I came from. I didn't know the hurt that my arrival caused, in essence, seven people, six kids and their mom. Uh, but I knew that when I went with him to their house to drop off the alimony check, I knew I was in a house with people that didn't want me there. And I didn't really understand why. And as I look back, I don't really understand why I was brought there by my dad. Maybe as, as I said in the book is kind of a peacekeeper to make sure that no pots and pans were flying. Yeah. Maybe um, a good theory. I thought make made a little sense. Yeah. I, yeah. I, yeah. I, I guess there's some, some uh, wisdom behind that, yeah. but it was weird for me. And so I wrote this book and I have two half sisters who are not happy that I, I dredged all this up at all, but, you know, it, it's my life and it's my story. And it's, I figured if I'm going to write a book, I'm going to write a book. I don't, I don't know why you would write a book and not throw it all out there, especially in this world where I, I think, you know, first of all, it's the only thing that'll really sell. And secondly, it felt good. It felt good to kind of get all that out there. And like I probably told you before, if we talked about this topic, the whole reason why I write a book is I've done all this stuff, but people think they know me and they have no idea who I am or where I really come from or what my life was really like, or, you know, that I have walked the same path as so many with divorce and where I come from. So it, it felt good to just get it out there. Like for the record, as you sit there and think I'm rooting against the Indians or against the Cubs, here, here's who I am, and here's why it sounds like that. And now judge. And, and I'm not dumb. I, I don't think that people are obsessed with who I really am or they can't go to bed at night until they figure it out. But it, it felt good for me to get that out there. Was it writing that or maybe something else where you had to kind of think back to the family motto and say, so what, and, and, uh, and just keep going forward? Did that happen a, a lot, maybe? admitting some of the vanity or uh, was there something besides the things that I brought up that maybe were hardest to write where you really had to go by your dad's philosophy of so what and just get the, get the words on the paper? Yeah, exactly. I mean, absolutely. And, and, you know, with regard to the story that came out that Richard Deitch wrote, it was kind of the teaser to the book coming out. Um, whenever that was released, uh, you know, all these months start to run together, but, uh, you know, that might've been in October, which, you know, the book was coming out in November and, uh, all of a sudden everybody at least had read his articles talking about my hair plug surgeries. Right. Being an addict. And the fact that, what's that? He called you an addict. I think he framed it as. Yeah. An yeah. addict. Yeah. He took it out of my book and you've read my book and you know that that whole chapter is couched with like a thousand jokes, uh, self-deprecating. And, really. and that, that was one of them. So, yeah. To be an addict to that, you'd have to be a, a psycho because it is the most painful procedure anybody could ever sign up for, yet it does put more hair on the top of your head. And so, you know, to almost lose my career as I got my eighth hair plug surgery because I went under and there was operator error and the tube they put down my throat, the cuff that holds it in place was overinflated, sat on the nerve that fires my left vocal cord. 
and I came out unable to to talk above a whisper. And I thought I was done. I, I thought it was over. And uh, you know, I was going through a divorce, and you know, I, I found depressants for the first time, antidepressants rather, for the first time in my life. I had plenty of depressants, and <laughs> I, I was going through a big change, and you know, scared to death. And I, I think that translates to other people's lives. It's why I put it out there. That surgery could have been for anything. It, I didn't have to reveal that that's what it was, but I felt like, why not? Why not say what it was for? I could have said I, I got a you know knee surgery and they put me under, and the same thing could have happened. So, yeah, it felt good. And there was a lot of so what in there, like, who cares? I'm, I'm going to throw it out there, and it'll be news for a little while, and then people will enjoy the book because it's a, a real honest look at who I am. You know, I've had six surgeries in the last 10 years, and one thing I like to do is to play a game where I see if I can remember the anesthesiologist when I wake up. And uh, now, <laughs> now next time, the first thing I'm going to want to do is talk and see if I can talk when I wake up because I didn't even know that that was a potential... Uh, it's on the waiver. It's on the disclaimer or whatever it is that you sign before you go under. And you're, what are you going to do? Not sign it? So, you know, you sign it, but it's in there. I mean, it's it's not that uncommon. What I had when my vocal cord went out is something that is kind of akin to uh, somebody with cancer and throat cancer or, uh, you know, that nerve getting snipped, which it's probably never going to come back. Mine was bruised and it should come back. But as I said in the book, my voice should come back. Well, now it's three weeks. Now it's four weeks. Now I go to a doctor and the doctor says, well, it could never come back. And that was really hard to a do my job with because I was terrible and B get out of my mind while I was doing my job that, that this was it. I was, I was done. So yeah, it's it's a worry, and for somebody like you, it's something to think about next time you go under. You couldn't even enjoy the hair, you know. You couldn't even. I enjoy couldn't it. enjoy yeah, the you hair. You couldn't even enjoy the hair. And then, as yeah. as I said in there, Matthew McConaughey, another name drop. Uh, I said this on uh, Conan's show the other night. Yeah, you know, I, I told him when this was going on. I didn't tell really anybody what was going on, but I was kind of fishing for information from him, and I said, "Well, let me tell you what happened." And his, he took a moment, and then he said, well, so what you're saying there, buckaroo, is you fixed your video, but you fucked up your audio. <laughs> and I, I, I was like, my God. Yeah, in one sentence, there you go. That's, uh, that's exactly what I did. And uh, by the way, have you had any work done? And if so, it's glorious, and, and how can I sign up with your doctor? <laughs> <laughs> all my all my surgeries have been gastrointestinal stomach shit, so I don't think you want to meet my doctor. Uh, no, I, I'm, 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 I'll stay away. Yeah, uh, the sportscaster here with Joe Buck. He's at Buck on Twitter. Be nice to him there. I always put that disclaimer out. No need to be mean. Uh, one last thing, because I know we agreed on thirty minutes, so I'll get you out of here on this. I know I was hoping very much that you would end up on Stern to promote this book, and you kind of did. You got the call on the wrap-up show. He had some Yenta on that day. I can't even remember who it was. Maybe Kathy Griffin, maybe someone else. I don't know. It someone, was Kathy Griffin. Yeah, she's been on 36 times. Boring. He Stern, 
you know, I've, I've been a fan since 1993, I think. Huge Stern fan. But listen, come on. He doesn't get – sometimes I think he – you know, for a guy who thinks he's so in plug with his audience, I think he gets a little confused that since he doesn't like sports that his audience does. He doesn't realize how much his audience does. Would have been great to get you on there. What was it like oh, dealing with me. Gary? Tell me the behind the scenes of ending up on the wrap-up show because I know you wanted to be on the on the couch in the studio too. Oh, my God. I, I have assaulted poor Gary with uh, <laughs> with everybody – in a position that can have any influence over Gary. But at the end of the process, if Howard says no, then it's not going to happen. So I was dying to go on there. I'm, I'm not saying the ship has sailed yet. I'm not giving up hope. Um, but yeah, now they're going on Christmas break. So it would have to be in a little while, but I, yeah, I go in there and it was great. Ronnie, the limo driver, you know, said, hi, we took a picture, uh, John Hines, a, a really nice guy. Uh, Sal was was there poking around and couldn't have been nicer. I mean, you realize, and if you listen to that show, they're they're really good people. And and for as wacko as people think it is, especially those that don't listen, uh, it's really a bunch of good-hearted people that uh, that do pull for one another. And and there's kind of a conservative bent to a lot of the stuff that they do. And you know, I. I wanted to go on there because I wasn't worried that Howard was going to, and I can handle any question that comes my way, but I I wanted to to see what he could get out of me. And so I got in there and Gary went back into the back. It's like, look, man, I know you want to go on the real show. I want you to go on the real show, but Howard, you know, he's just not a sports fan. And, And I don't know if it's just the sports thing or, if there's an Artie Lang element to it, because I, think, I know I they've kind of gotten into it mm-hmm. in, in, in a roundabout way lately. And uh, if I go on the Howard Stern show, how do you not talk about yeah. Artie Lang? Yeah, yeah. And, that might have sounded I don't think maybe he wants to go there. So I don't blame him. He can have whoever he wants on there, and, and I'll keep listening. Uh, but it would be a thrill to go on there, because I, I'd love to see what direction he would take the interview. Well, I noticed when it came up on the wrap-up show, you were kind of avoiding it, and Gary was like, go ahead, you can say it, and you did, and then right away, John's like, all right, let's take a break. Yeah. I was like, oh, all right. I don't think they want to talk about (laughs) him at all. They do not. (laughs) Um, Maybe you have to join the Fantasy League, because Matthew Berry's been on like five times now. On the real show? Yeah. He's He's been on two times, I think, on the couch as a guest. And then three times when the fantasy league is three separate times when the fantasy league is like come up and then they get them on the phone to be a part of it. Yeah, well there you go. So that's my that's my end. That so happen. if it happens, I'll I'll bring you. You can come with me. Oh, thank you. That'd be amazing. Yeah, but yeah, Jimmy Traina, uh, who used to work for Fox Sports and Sports Illustrated, I think he's with the comeback right now. He was out a couple weeks ago. As we're both big Stern fans, and I was telling him just about how. I've been a little bit disappointed about a little bit of the loss of authenticity on the show. Um, I don't know. It's not as authentic as it used to be. And I understand that shows need to evolve. And I'm not like one of these people who wants him to be throwing baloney at the ass of a stripper or something. Like, that's not the part of it I miss. But I don't know. It's just something about it. 
I feel like maybe... well, I can't get enough. I can't get enough of the interviews. I, I really can't. They are great. I, They're the best. Best you part. You see sides mm-hmm. of people that it's it's like writing the book. You see sides of people. You go, oh, I understand that person a lot more, or I know what they were thinking when X happened. You know, whether it's Madonna, who you know, I really don't care about on a daily basis, or Conan O'Brien, who I do, and and hearing his brilliance as he goes through his life journey. I, you know, there, there's real value in those interviews. Sometimes the whack pack and all that stuff can get a little monotonous, but I, it, if I, that would be like the highlight to get interviewed by him. So I'm, I'm hoping. And I know you, we talked about how you brought some of that to undeniable as well. And kind of making that, I try, Yeah, I try. And you know, I, I get a chance to sit down with these people for, two, two and a half, sometimes three hours. And, you know, they're by, by, I guess by the end of two hours, you've worn them down to where they're defenseless and you can get them to cry. Uh, but that's, that's kind of my MO on that show. And it's been fun. I'm, I'm really enjoying the heck out of doing it. Joe Buck again is on Twitter. He's at Joe Buck. His book is called lucky bastard, Joe Buck, my life, my dad, and the things I'm not allowed to say on TV. And it's available Wherever books are sold, obviously Amazon ebook formats as well. If you're going to buy it on in the Apple ebook section, search for it because it's not in the sports section. Um, so you might get confused. It's in the the autobiography section, I think. Or I'm not sure. What it's the just weird called, because but, I'm I'm on the New York Times. They have all these different lists for different categories, and I, I I'm number six in sports, but I'm like number one or two in parenting. Nice. So, yeah, that's that's not a direction that I thought <laughs> it would be uh, going, but there's plenty of parenting in there. So uh, sports or parenting, I, I think, uh, or gardening maybe, that too. But I, I uh, that's, that's what list I'm on, which is crazy to me. Hey, Joe, one of my best friends is the star of the Chicago Wolves. So... If he gets called up, really? To, yeah, if he gets called up to the Blues, who is it? His name is Kenny Agostino, and um, my brother played D one hockey at Yale, and Kenny was his teammate there, and uh, he was drafted. Well, yeah, he had a great camp, right? Oh yeah, he scored. He had six. He had a six point night, the, like one of the first yeah. games. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he. Um, well, good. I'll look for him. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll look. And and they need something, man. They. They're about as hit or miss as, as it gets in the NHL right now. Yeah, I think he would have made it while Jaden Schwartz was out, but then they made the Yakupov trade, and he got sent down. But he's third in the AHL in scoring right now, and he's a second-half guy, too. I mean, he hasn't even played his best hockey yet. But keep a lookout for Kenny. Hopefully he'll be in St. Louis soon, and if he is, uh, maybe you can welcome him. Uh, you got it, man. I think that's everything for me. I kept it 10 minutes longer than I was supposed to, so I apologize about that, but... That's okay. Anything That's okay. anything you want to ask me? Uh, how are you feeling after six surgeries? You okay? Yeah, I'm fine. I'm a lot less colon. Got to make sure I always know where the bathroom is. But Well, yeah. And as you know from my book, so do I. <laughs> yeah, so do you. That's right. Yeah, that, I was thinking about that when you were taking a leak while Brett Fire was throwing a touchdown. And uh, I was thinking about, <laughs> you know, man, I would have, I'd be in trouble at some of those stadiums. But... Now I would just I when you know that you're not going to be near a bathroom you just don't eat. Yeah, you know what I mean. Eat. You just don't eat. I, I don't drink. I yeah, mean, I 
I've got to stay hydrated for my voice, but uh, sometimes I got to back it off a little bit if if the bathroom is a sprint, which it is, by the way, at uh, Cleveland's baseball stadium. So uh, that was if I ever came back huffing and puffing, it's because I had to go to the bathroom moments before. <laughs> All right, thank you, sir. You're the best. All right, take care. It was a pleasure being on with you. Thanks, and I'll look for Agostino. We need scoring, so tell him to get here soon. All right, sounds good. All right. All right, I want to thank the great Joe Buck for being on the podcast today. It really is a feather in the cap of the sportscasters to be able to call Joe Buck a friend, and we appreciate him for his third appearance already on the podcast. Yeah. We always say we're pumped when someone comes on once, but when they come back, that's when we really get excited. Uh, and he's come back twice after the first time now, so thanks to, thanks to Joe. Totally genuine. Yep. Too. So, speaking of guests, I today said, let's look back at the season and see how we did with our bookings. Okay. All right. So, 5 to 59 is what, 54? 54 different guests we've had so far this year, or we will have this year. We had Chris Trapasso, Josh Levin. You counting these? <laughs> okay. Okay, Trapasso, Levin, Frank Schwab, Tim Kayon, Kevin Armstrong, Jonathan Abrams, Catherine Perlman, Jason Concepcion, Robert Mays, Richard Lawler, Bruce Feldman, Dan Kelly, Alan Seppenwall, Kyle Brandt, Sean McDonough, Eric Merlis, and Rick Tellender. I think that's 18. I might have, might have missed one, but... 18 debuts. Okay, of all of those people who appeared, only two people appeared three times. Deitch? And I was going to guess. Dater. Dater, okay. And SL Price. Okay. And of all of those guests... How many was Perlman? Just two? Just two. Two, okay. We have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten people appeared twice. All right. That's including the three who, you know... Appeared three times. Appeared three times. Uh, we got people like Brian Curtis from The Ringer. A lot of Ringer people... Um, you know, debuted as ringer people. Sure. Uh, Brian Curtis, David Shoemaker. Um, I mentioned Mays, Robert Mays and Danny Kelly from football at ringer. Uh, Jonathan Abrams writes for ringer. Now we had some newspaper people debut. Kevin Armstrong was with one of the New York papers came in. He had a really cool story. I remember it was around NCAA tournament time about, uh, gyms around that have hosted college basketball because, the NCAA tournament was now at Barclays. So it was about all the okay. smaller gyms around that had um, hosted. Um, trying to see who's... We duked it out with Mike Harrington again around around this time last year. He was one of the first shows of season six uh, when he was just down on the Sabres for still being bad. And I had to set him straight why I didn't care what the <laughs> record was. Right. Uh, we could end up having that discussion again this year. Uh, what else went down? Like I said, Deitch was on 6-34. and 34, So we had him at the beginning and at the very end here. 
He's a favorite. Jeff Passan, our OG, was on 14 and 28. Uh, 28 he was on to for his book. Greg Wyshynski, only one time, episode 13. He's someone who's usually on yeah. a couple times a season. That's a surprise. It was for his book too, right? Yep. Uh, Damon Hack was on episode 12, just one time for him. Got to find more appearances for Damon. Uh, Don Banks was on, and it was interesting because it was his first time since 2011, which is the same as Mike Pereira. Both okay. of those guys yeah. made their first appearance since 2011. So I thought that was pretty interesting. Jim Florentine came back. Uh, so a completely non-sports guest, basically, although we talk sports with them. Did you listen to that? I haven't yet, no. Uh, Tom Verducci was on, the guest that they said we'd never get. I think that was like his fifth time or something like that. Right. And guess whose name is not on here? This is the most shocking thing, I thought, of everything I did, is there's a name missing. Okay, I already said Dave earlier. Yeah. Way more shocking, I think, than that. Uh, what's his name? The guy that Deitch always picks on us for. Yes. Lee Jenkins. Lee Jenkins. Did not do an appearance. Did not year. come on. Oh, wow. And I probably asked him five or six times. Oh, you did? Okay. Yeah. So I always tell people I think he's kind of over it. <laughs> that, might be, that might be proof. Uh, Kenny Albert was in. Kenny Albert, Sean McDonough, and Joe Buck. At least three people who call NFL games for network television. So that's pretty cool. I don't know if this is news, but I know we talked about this in one last thing, and I just got an email about it. But the Super Mario Run game is now available for you to download. Yeah, it's only 10 bucks. I think. Oh, it says free to start. What does that mean? Oh, maybe they give you a trial. Maybe. I thought it was going to be a lot more, I guess is what I'm saying. I think 10. But there's no uh, upselling in the game. Okay. Once no you, microtransactions? Once you buy it, you own the whole game. Got it. So I thought it would be a little bit more. Uh, oh, episode number 20, Molly Knight came in to take to accept the Book Club, Book Club of, of the Year award. Um, Kyle Brandt was maybe my favorite debut. I can't wait to get yeah, him he was good. back a second time. There's guys that, like, I bet if you asked Kyle Brandt who we were, he wouldn't remember, or who what if you told him the name of the podcast, maybe he'd remember doing it. But uh, it doesn't mean he wasn't genuine when he was on. Because I would say the same about, like, Mike Pereira. Like, I'm not sure that he necessarily remembers doing the podcast. Oh, he had no idea he did it. Right. And plus, he was in the middle of a book, so he probably did a thousand shows. Okay, Pereira, sure. you know? But when he comes on... He's good. He's yeah. professional. He doesn't act like you're wasting his time or anything. Josh Levin was a cool debut in episode three. He's from the Shut Up and Listen podcast on Slate. Okay. I'd like to have him back. Was Molly's friend this year? No, she was last, last year. Last year. Okay. Yeah. Lana. Lana, that's right. Or no, Lana. Lana. Barry. Lana. Okay. Lana is the way you'd think it would be said. that's from Archer. Right. Lana. But she is Lana. Okay. Um... Anything else that I want to mention? Oh, we talked about Kyle in episode 27. That was also the episode that Alan Seppenwall debuted. Okay. TV Critic. I wish we could get TV Critics more, but they are so busy. Or they think they are anyway. Who was the TV Critic that wrote the book? Was that him? Mm-hmm. Okay. That was good. I remember that one. Yeah. So that's the year in guest. Oh, Taz Mellis. He came on twice. We always love Taz from the starters. Uh, are good you know, an NBA guest. We didn't do much NBA when I look at the guests. Like those might be the only two NBA interviews we did all year. That's that's because of us though. Yeah. I mean coolest. just we're not NBA. And Lee guys. doesn't want to come on. Right. <laughs> right, he's our NBA guy. You know who else I asked a bunch of times to come on and he wouldn't was Chris Ballard. Okay. 
You know, and he's another NBA guy we've gotten in the past who's totally locked in on the Warriors. And I think that's why he didn't commit. It was just so crazy. He's such a crazy year to be like yeah. a Warriors beat guy. Right. You know, it's not his beat per se. But, yeah. So, and now the interesting thing is, is that we usually start the season with the guy who wrote the Sportsman of the Year episode or issue of Sports Illustrated. And Lee wrote it this year. Okay. So come back in a few weeks and find out we'll if, see. Yeah. how over it he is. <laughs> so, All right. Let's take a break. Let's uh, finish up this goofy year guest with uh, the ball buster of them all, Richard Deitch. So after 15 times, I think it's safe to say that Richard Deitch is just about to the point where he's sick of this and struggling to find value in doing it. How are you, Richard? Uh, it's, this is my 15th appearance? Yes. That's incredible. What, um, you know, I always ask, first of all, as always, I appreciate the invite. And uh, getting Joe Buck on the podcast, I remember when this podcast was excited to get a Scott Price. Now you're getting a Joe Buck. You really... Uh, you really moved up. So uh, I should know this, but I don't. Is uh, Jenkins remains the leader, and then is Wertheim like in the top five? You must be, right? Yeah, Jenkins and Wertheim are one and two. But as I think I told you last time, the secret is is you know Jenkins doesn't really want to do it anymore. So I haven't asked him in like a year. So I don't know if he'll be on anymore. What is Jenkins? What's the number for Jenkins? Twenty. Oh wow! You see, to me, it would have been good for you to ask him. This month, just because you know he has LeBron sportsman, and he's um, he's filed a number of uh, NBA preview story, you know, profile right. stories, where he may actually be interested in talking about Embiid and uh, and his LeBron piece. Well, you, know, you may be able to get twenty one out of him. The thing about that is, every year our season premiere is usually with the writer who did the SI Sportsman column. You know, so I'm going to have to reach out to him. Hopefully, we can keep that going. Hopefully, he'll want to do he, it. Um, yeah, I, the one thing about Lee is, uh, one, he's obviously great, but he really, for all his acclaim, he's not uh, he's not a TV guy, as I like to sort of use that expression. Yeah. I mean, you can you can still get him. He he, he will. Oh yeah, I, I think he's he just I think he's just busier. I, I don't think he you know, and I'm just trying to be respectful. I think you well, know, it's not so crazy. I mean, he's busy, but I mean, come on, he's he's, he's not so busy. He can do it. Well, you know what he does do, unlike other people, is no matter what, if I email him, he does email back at least, even if it's... Yeah, that, that's unlike me. I mean, I, <laughs> I made a decision that I just I, I had to avoid you for a couple months, yeah. get myself in a better place, and, and psych myself up to do this podcast again. But here I am again in December and and, uh, and ready to go. By the way, since I last talked to you, I, you know, I know that you have a lot of Buffalonians listening to yeah. this. Um, the basketball programs and the football programs of my alma mater have really changed dramatically. We'll see if it's for the good, but they have undergone some significant uh, uh, coaching moves, athletic director moves. You know, UB Athletics is a whole new world from 2014. And the p- most positive change is they're taking State University of New York off the front of their basketball jerseys. Totally agree. Putting I mean, Buffalo was, on the front. It's so dumb. Yeah. I, I'm actually... Maybe I shouldn't be surprised at anything in sports, but I, I, I can't believe they actually tried to pull that off. It's just, um, it devalues Buffalo, which is ultimately what you're selling to your community and to your athletes. The other thing, too, is as somebody who went to school in Buffalo and lives in, you know, downstate, lives in New York City, there, there is zero connection to 
Buffalo in New York City. Right. Which is not a knock on Buffalo. It's just there is no New York school. It's it's Buffalo might as well be, you know, South Carolina. It's just so far away from New York. Politically, it's different. Geographically, it's different. So Buffalo, the university should celebrate and embrace that it's Buffalo and put Buffalo on the front of the jersey, not New York on the front of the jersey. So, yeah, I'm glad that that nonsense has ended. It was so foolish. And what they really need to do, I've said for years, is I can't believe they don't have a D1 hockey program. Uh, we've always talked about that. That that Not only would that be um, well attended, I believe you could actually get good fast because the region is so good with hockey players. And then you can go north, obviously, and recruit some really good Canadians mm-hmm. who um, you know would play for one or two years maybe before going to juniors or something else. You know, uh, having lived in Ann Arbor for one year, Michigan, which is historically a great hockey program, you know, they essentially have guys who just go there for two years sometimes. Yeah, of course. They, yeah. you know, they as you know this, they play great. Yeah, Jacob they get Truba. to the NCAA finals, and then they go off to their uh, either minor league team or junior team. And that's, I think, Buffalo could be a power very quickly because I think a lot of Canadian kids, especially in the Ontario region, may, you know, think about playing there for like a year or two before they went on to go for it professionally. I, I've I've never understood why a, a rich donor wouldn't try to just, you know, set up a rink somewhere and start the program. I, I that to me could be a big winner in Buffalo. Either. You know, people go to the. I mean, I'm not telling you anything. You know, the Sabers continually do well, even um, in down years. I, I just that's that's one that the UB athletic administration slash uh, regular administration has just missed on, and they've missed on that. Uh, I mean, even going back to the '90s when I was there. Yeah, I live minutes from the North Campus, and uh, they have such a beautiful... You go down Sweet Home uh, now, and pretty much from North French to Maple is UB World. It's a long stretch of road. And it gets more beautiful and more developed, and there's places to live and places to eat, and... You know, it's just it's it's really a, it's an unbelievable place, but they do have some failures when it's come to athletics, and they've had them my whole lifetime. And someday they'll get someone there that's gonna it's gonna be important to them and serious to them, and it'll improve, I, I think. But like, yeah, I think you're. Right. But, I, the one thing is, I, I haven't been there in a couple of years, but um, I you, really would like to see downtown because I hear downtown is blowing up a little bit yeah, more so on the waterfront. Yeah, and then um, I love the fact, from what I've heard, that the UB. Uh, you know, that campus is, um, oh, it's beautiful. you know, the Ellicott Complex campus has, uh, you know, far more housing and there's really nice housing around it. Beautiful. That would be cool to see. I lived, I lived on the, uh, near the other campus. Uh, oh, by south in the you city. Know, like the, yeah. Yeah, in the south, Merrimack and the yep. Minnesotas and yeah. stuff like that. And, you know, that was kind of borderline college slum yep. when I was there. And Still. I've heard that it's gotten, it's gotten even worse since yeah. I left. Yeah. Yeah, that's. I have a buddy actually who makes his living on houses there, but his houses right. are on the uh, on the Amherst side, and he usually only uh, rents to graduate students. Uh, so he's got a nice little business over there. But yeah, it's. Um, yeah, I don't know, but you would be you'd be blown away by the growth in the city. The Pagula money is spent well downtown, and the UB money has developed the Amherst UB campus area. It's like I said, it's beautiful. Yeah. It's a, listen, I tell people all the time, Buffalo is a hidden gem. I mean, if you can li- deal with the cold, it's one of the places, uh, uh, you know, certainly in the Northeast, where you can really get a nice house and live a nice life um, because it's not the, 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 the prices to live there are not as exorbitant and crazy as a 
a big city like mine. And then there's just a lot of amenities, from restaurants, obviously, to sports. Uh, it's a good town. You literally, the only downside in the town is just, you know, you have to be able to endure four or five months of very, very cold weather. I don't even think the weather is that different than New York City now. I mean, we have yet to well, have much, an much inch snow. of snow. We haven't yeah, had an inch yet. It's, it's the lake effect. That's, that's, the, that, that's the big difference. It's, I would say the weather is probably close in terms of temperature-wise, but it's, New York is not a city that gets a ton of snow. I mean, you know, every now and then we'll get a nor'easter, but as a general rule in Manhattan, Brooklyn, like the city proper, it's not a lot of snow every year. So that, that honestly is the big difference. That's, as, that was the one thing in Buffalo that was just... Um, as long as you don't you know, live just, in the... There would just, just be days where just, you know, if you couldn't get out of your house, it was just tough. As long as you don't live in the south now, like I live in the north of the city, and, you know, there'll be times where listeners will be like, oh, are you okay? I'm reading about the snow in Buffalo. And, I, you know, my mom who lives in the south, she has four feet, and I I haven't had a... You know, my plow hasn't come. Like, you south know, so, is like Hamburg and yeah, stuff like that, or even yeah, further? Okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, I remember driving through that. Yeah, pr- probably like right around our Orchard Park where the Bills play is kind of the start yep, yep. of that kind of really tough. All the way to Fredonia, the state line is really bad. I used to, I used to have to uh, going back years. I used to have to drive a 1983 Honda Civic to Orchard Park from UB. Yeah, it's a and challenge. In the, in, the, yeah. in the winter, that was just rough. That I mean, that car, you know, weighed less than. Uh, uh, Connor McGregor. So it, it was, it was, it was, it was rough. And that was when winter here was winter, not like now. And plus, Correct. You got to figure in four years. I mean, I was reading your Twitter feed. Trump's going to melt you, the United States of America. So, we oh, should, yeah. Oh, yeah, global warming. Yeah, it we'll, should be Buffalo, like Buffalo will be seventy-four degrees yeah. in uh, in December next year. San yeah. Diego. We'll be called. It'll be like San Diego. We'll be uh, sitting on Lake that's, Erie. That's right. Yeah, the San Diego of New York. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, geez, I went there, so let's just start with that. I was talking to Jimmy Traina, joking about him at the end of our interview a couple weeks no, ago. Already I should hang up on you just <laughs> dropping that name, but go ahead. Okay, relevant in the sense that I was talking about how you two joke about your Twitter personas and the way you represent yourselves on Twitter. And I asked him, and I'll ask you the same thing, why did you make the decision to make a heel turn on 62, Ameri- 62 million Americans? What's the... What's the upside? <laughs> What's the upside there? Why? I, I don't. I don't get it. I guess. Uh. Well. All right. First of all, I don't think I made a heel turn. Uh. That's a good question, though. It's interesting. Um. Because it gets into a larger question of, um. If you are in sports, what are the upsides and downsides to discussing or talking politics on your Twitter feed? And in all, in all honesty, there's more downside than upside in terms of if you want uh, followers, if you want um you know, added page views, et cetera. Um, what I've always tried to do with the feed, I think, um, is to, to send out really interesting and compelling links. But there's no doubt this election really impacted me. And it's not because I was some Hillary Clinton flag waver at all, because I certainly was not. But I really do think that Trump has a lot of danger for this country. And I made a decision probably late in the campaign that I wasn't going to pretend to be something I was not, I'm a citizen first before a sports writer or anything else. And I was going to send links out there um, that at least if nothing else, I hope, provoke people to think. I tried not to very intentionally flag wave for Clinton or the Democrats. You can't really find on my feed almost anything that sort of praises Hillary Clinton. It was very much my POV. Yeah, it was all anti-Trump. Very much my POV when it came to Trump. Um, And I will say... 
it certainly at times cost me a lot of followers. There's no doubt that there are people who have um, uh, told me on my feed, you know, I wish you would only stick to sports. And those are all fair um, complaints, but I'm probably not going to change. And with the exception of I'm, I'm trying, the one thing I don't want to do, and I probably did a couple of times, is I, I probably was a little too flippant on things that are, are serious. And I'm trying not to be, uh, you know, like the over-the-top coverage of certain networks on Trump when he started early on was really, in hindsight, very dangerous. And, you know, I think a lot of people in the media, including myself, probably joked about it then, but it's not really very funny now. So the last thing I would say in this is, I just I hope that the people who are um, both really hardcore Trump supporters and, uh, and the hardcore GOP would still look at my feed and see that, as a general rule, uh, one, I'm being honest on how I believe, and two, I'm still sending out sort of interesting content. So I hope they stick with me for that, but there's no doubt that uh, and I think Trainer probably more than me because he's a little more hardcore on this. He, um, you know, we, we, at different times we've we, we've certainly lost people um, because of our views. You know, for me, it's like I had to make a decision as well. I think we all did, and I think I knew my role in the sense that I didn't. F- I don't feel like I'm really allowed to have that much of an opinion because in 2016 we view other people's opinions as just as pieces of information that we'll make to decide how we feel about those people more than ever before. And people more than ever before have decided that if your opinion is different than them, it's wrong, it's dangerous, and it fits into some buzzword uh, like xenophobia or racism or you list them. We've heard them all in the last nine months over and over again. And I'm not big enough or willing to take the risk of being labeled any of those things. Uh, so I bailed out completely. I don't. I don't go there at all. I guess I do in a way stick to sports. Although I talk about my life and other things, I guess. But I think, uh, you know, yeah, I think your decision is is sort of smart in terms of um, you know being middle of the road, and um, you know that's not going to offend anybody. The one thing I definitely have not done though is I have not attacked people who believe things. Different than me, you know. You never sort of attack the person, obviously, unless I guess the person's attacking you. You can attack the position, but not the person. But I've tried, you know, I've sent out stuff, but I've very, very rarely engaged in long-winded political discourse on Twitter because it's honestly, it's one of the worst forums to debate this stuff. It's just 140 characters is very limiting. No context, no tone. Yeah, no context, and too often. And I understand that you know people take things that you see uh, that you say on Twitter. Um, often, you know, in a different, um, in a different manner than you really mean it. You know, they, they can ascribe far more negativity or far more harshness. And, you know, that in the end is not good for dialogue. And it becomes personal when sometimes it's not really personal. It's sort of philosophical. So I think your strategy is smart in terms of, um, I just didn't see the upside. Not not offending anybody, but you know, it's, it's, it's hard. You know, I think, I hope people sort of follow me and read my stuff because they believe it's me. So I, I wouldn't be me if I just sort of sat back and didn't say anything. Last thing on this, and I want to move on to other things. In 2004, during the election, I was a student at Fredonia, and uh, it was a very, very, very uh, left campus. I'm sure it still is, uh, which right. is fine. I mean, I love Fredonia very much. Uh, it's a very close place to me. But I was in this history class that semester when we voted eventually in November or whatever. And uh, I remember saying to the professor that I didn't understand in such a contentious election, you remember 2004 was, 
said, I didn't understand why so many people spent so much time on campus uh, preaching to the choir when we were so close to Pennsylvania, which was a swing state in 2004. And um, I feel like Twitter is very much preaching to the choir for a couple of reasons. One, I've learned online people don't want to be told they're wrong. They don't want to be told how to work out. And they don't want to be told um, – I had a third one. I forgot it. Uh, and I just feel like you're never going to change anyone's mind, and I, I just couldn't find the upside. So I guess I – with that, no, I, so this is, I, I, I will say this. The, I have come to sort of the realization – I probably knew it, but it really hit home. I don't think you're changing any hearts and minds on Twitter. No. Um, you, may get, you may get people to think, but I think in the end, I think the only way that happens is ultimately people are going to vote, and they're going to believe on what's best for them. Um, so it's a tough medium to change mine. Secondly, um, I've tried to do a better job, at least now, in terms of um, following more sources that are, let's say, against my uh, POV for politics, and I do think that's one thing this election um, helped me on. I, I, I thought Clinton would win, um, but so I wasn't I. naive. There yeah. was no doubt that I, I knew that there would be support for Trump. I am not one who believes that the... Uh, everybody voted for Trump for only one reason. That is an absurdity. And I think one of the things that really helps me is I lived in Buffalo. So I lived in a, you know, in pockets of Buffalo, massive conservativism and much more conservative, um, Western New York is obviously than New York. So there, I, I have a pretty good sense of how people, um, in the country feel outside of Manhattan, which is its own very, you know, very left and very crazy, uh, universe. But I do think that I have to be honest. Uh, I don't. I wasn't reading enough sources um, that I would sort of put down as conservative sources, just to get a sense of of what others are thinking out there. I mean, there again, there are people who voted for Trump. I think for a thousand different reasons. To say everybody is anti-immigrant, or to say everybody who voted for Trump is racist, you're just you're part of the problem. It's just not true, and it's not thoughtful, and it's not thinking. So uh, hopefully, as we sort of head on, I'm going to educate myself a little bit more. But it's a, I'm fascinated by the topic of sports people talking about politics on social media because it really is it's it's a really interesting uh, place to be because there are really inherent risks for the sports people who have to, especially the TV people who really have to appeal to a broad crowd to get viewers. You know, if you're an ESPN Sports Center anchor. It is much more dangerous for you to talk politics than me or Wertheim or Scott Price, and that's just that. That world is very interesting to me. Just uh, the, I, I kind of respect the people who do it because I think they're putting their beliefs as a citizen first over their own career, which I think is an interesting but yet risky proposition. Take a risk here and give me a few names that you think are the best at it, and the real risk, a few names that you think are the worst at it. In terms of putting that stuff out there. Yeah. What you just described, the thing that you find uh, interesting. I, yeah, okay. I think um, I think Jamel Hill is really, really good at it, who combines both um, her opinion, uh, but at the same time humor, so that it's not sort of always over the top, um, you know, sort of pounding you with thought. I mean, I think she's very clear left of center than, um, than right of center. Uh, but I think she, I think she, at least at this point, is sort of, uh, juggled that line pretty good. I'm trying to think who else. Like, uh, I think Tim Brando on the right does it pretty good. 
Okay. He, um, you know, he voted for Trump, but uh, he was a conservative who sort of like told you what he believed and why he believed it. But was I thought pretty respectful of um, the crowd on the other side. So those would be the two that come to mind right away in terms of two uh, different political orthodoxies who, um, who I think have towed that line pretty good. Uh, um, you know, there are a lot of people in the business who just say, uh, thought it can be blunt, who say shit for attention and who know that it's going to get some page views. Um, and you can do that both in sports and in, and in politics. Um, so maybe like a Clay Travis might be an example of that. A little bit, although, yeah. you know, I think he, I mean, listen, I have my own sort of history with him, but, um, but I think he, I, I think he, be, I think actually he sort of believes a lot of what he says politically. He's a little more of a, uh, like a constitutionalist in terms of anything else. Like I, you know, I don't follow him and I'm sure I don't really, yeah, I don't I'm either. not really a big fan of his content. Uh, but from what I've seen, at least he, I don't know if he's sort of one or the other. I think he's. Um, I think he's interested in getting attention, but I'm not sure if it's uh, if it's just sort of saying stuff for the sake of of saying. So I have to look. I have to, you know, before just throwing out different names, I'd want right. to really sort of look and sort of see. I'll tell you who's really who's doing a good job and who's not. I'd be curious to see what you think. Yeah, he's a great friend of mine, and I told him to his face, and I'm okay with saying this. But Jeff Perlman is terrible at it. Yeah, that's a, you know what I love Jeff. We're we're friends, and I think he goes way too overboard. He's very emotional, as, yep, a, very as, emotional. A, as a tweeter, mm-hmm. and I think it hurts him. I would agree with that. I think that's a fair criticism, and I think Jeff Jeff would probably uh, Jeff would probably own that. I don't know if he did with you, yeah, yeah. but I think he would. I think he's he's such an emotional guy. I think he he tweets sometimes first before thinking. And if you know him, it's okay because you know his heart is in the right place. I right, think. I agree. And if you don't know him, it comes off as just unbearable. You know. So. Yeah, I can understand that. Yeah. I. I uh, that's a good one. You know, I like Jeff a lot. He's such a talented guy. Um, Gunslinger's great. Maybe he's, his best. Yeah, he, he, yeah. Of, he often will end up sort of apologizing sometimes, right? Because yeah. he knows he sort of went too far. Yeah. Um, I, I think I've gotten better at that. There are times I've tweeted some stuff that is, that are, that's just dumb. But I think over the last couple of years, maybe this is a result of having kids. I feel like my, my, my trigger figure is a little better. And I don't tweet as many. I don't tweet with emotion as much as I used to, which I think is the, I think can save you. All right, let's move on because I know you're gutting it out like a hockey player today, and I want to do a couple other things. Yeah, I'm drinking a lot of tea. Yeah, so let's do a couple other things, and I'll let you go. Um, all right, let's go. I don't, here. Out of my twenty, out of my fifteen appearances, I'm going to say already this is like number twelve. <laughs> I don't think this is a top. I don't think this is a top appearance. <laughs> well, that's what that's what this election has done to us, Richard. <laughs> that's what it's done to us. Uh, you you tweeted a article today, retweeted an article, a, a Vice report, a long form about WWE and its economics, and I'm always interested in your thoughts about wrestling. So what was interesting about that to you? What did you take away from it most? Uh, well, you know, you don't often read a lot of these pieces where somebody examines the financials of the WWE, and what was interesting to me was that um, the churn rate of people who sign up for the WWE and then um, yeah, uh, you know, that was nuts. go away from it. That's pretty. That was really interesting. What did they, he say? Like, their turn rate is pretty high. He said that like they had four hundred thousand new subscribers, but of those four hundred thousand, like one hundred and ninety were also canceled at the same time or something. You know, yeah, yeah. You you've checked the numbers out exactly. Yeah, right. Yeah, that 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 kind of figure was really really surprising to me. So it's it almost feels as if there's a group of people who just sort of sign up uh, just to get the free month and right. then. 
take off. The other thing that was really surprising, maybe I shouldn't have been, were the WrestleMania numbers, which were... Um, yeah, I was surprised. You, know, you were surprised. The, the, whatever it was, the, the over 100,000 uh, attendance that was put out in every mainstream paper um, turns out not to be the case. When this writer went into the deep financials and found that it looks like the the real actual number was seventy five eighty five thousand. Now again, that's still a great number. Can I try to explain that it, a little bit? But it's inter- but it's but it's inter- it's it's just, it's just interesting that um, and this gets to what wrestling is about. It's sort of the WWE and Vince McMahon always trying to make you feel that things are bigger than they are. Right, everything's uh, a work. You know, yeah, a lot. I mean, listen, a lot of sports media people do that too. They 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 want to sort of feel like they're bigger. And then they are. I mean, look at Fox Sports 1 saying Undisputed is the fastest-growing sports show in uh, America. I mean, you can play with those numbers. But, you know, if you go from zero to two, you know, you're going, you're, you're, times, you're right? doubling your audience. Yeah. It doesn't necessarily mean anything. So that was what, that takeaway was interesting. And then the last one, I would say quickly, is just the dynamic between Shane, uh, Triple H, and Steph is obviously, yeah, nobody has even really hit that story in depth and what that's all about. I mean, that if yeah. you could ever get it, and no one's probably going to get it, whatever the real story is and the real relationship between those three is totally fascinating. Let me try to explain the numbers with WrestleMania a little bit more, because I think Bruce Pritchard, who was there for a long time, has done a great job, and Meltzer's done a great job on this as well. Yeah, Pritchard's podcast is awesome. Yeah, it's great. I can't wait to listen to the new one today. Is about uh, the last Nitro. So I'm excited to check that out. Uh, this is what I'll say about those numbers. For the... Uh, being a public company, they do have to specifically report the number of tickets sold. So I think that this WrestleMania, they might have sold in whatever, 75,000. That doesn't mean that 100,000 people weren't there. It just means that only 75,000 so, people so I paid. Got you. Right. So what are the, are the other 20 comps, basically? Is that yeah, they, like could be, should... they could be comps. And also, like you said, you know how everything's a work. The WWE has no problem counting all the people that work there. All the people True. that are meeting, you know, they'll count anyone. Maybe, maybe, that's, maybe that's how you get around it, which yep. is interesting. But look, there's no argument. 75,000 people for a record. Yeah, huge crowd. Incredible. Yeah, huge crowd. Yeah. And, but, 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 um, but, you know, Meltzer has been very, very great at that over the years. Aggressively. Giving you, yep. you know, like the, the, the sort of tickets sold info versus the numbers there. At the same time, these are games that MLB and others play all the time. I mean, you go to a Major League Baseball game sometimes, they'll announce the crowd at like 32,000. You look around. It's like 10,000 people there. So, you know, it's not like the WWE is the only place that's playing those kind of games either. Let's try to tie this mainstream a little bit. Their subscription service at nine ninety nine a month does almost have 2 million followers now. And I right. got to think there's a lot of sports leagues that wouldn't mind 2 million people giving them $10 a month for basically content Absolutely. they already own. I mean, almost everything on the WWE Network, they own anyway. You know, True. So- the, 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 the question will be, and I don't know the answer is, uh, is there room for to, for growth? And if so, what is the growth? Like, uh, do you think there are another half million people out there who they can grab? Uh, it strikes me that the real growth may be internationally, Probably. where some of these untapped yeah. markets like China, et cetera, are really where they got to get. Yeah, I don't think there's much more growth. I think they're kind of finding the peak pretty soon. I mean, you got to figure o- only four million people or so watch Raw a week for free, right? So you're right, right. If you look, if you look at Raw, let's say three million on average, uh, for that first hour of Raw. And so, you know, you're getting 50% about, right, of those right. people who are probably going to your, paying for your network. That's pretty impressive. That's good, that's I mean, good, yeah. Just to, yeah, the question is, could you get the other 50%? And I, I don't know. That seems 
that's asking a lot. You know, it's not like it's not like a hundred percent of Major League Baseball fans would ever pay whatever money for MLB Network. Not even close. In fact, they, you know, you probably get twenty percent, maybe. I think what they've proved is you can get the most people during Mania Month. So now, what they need to do next yes. is to figure out how they can retain them in April. Or I agree, which May. means they yeah. need a you know they need a great card. And if you're sort of looking for storyline, um, I would be very interested to see if they bring Hogan back just to get some buzz. Uh, and negative buzz is still buzz. So it'd be interesting to see that. Obviously, you know they have some pre-built storylines with Lesnar and Goldberg. They brought Goldberg back. It seems to have worked uh, a little bit. But you know the one thing about WrestleMania, at least in the last couple of years, is they do bring back someone old school as kind of a surprise, whether yeah, many. you know it's Sting or or anybody else. So you wonder you wonder if that's in, in store somewhere. I want to ask you a Simmons question, not the one you think though. Uh, okay. I was surprised. I think I've been surprised how well Thirty for Thirty has done at ESPN post Simmons, and it makes me think that Simmons wasn't much more than a, a guy who said in the beginning, "Hey, let's do thirty documentaries, and these are the thirty things I think we should do them on, and maybe these people should do them." And that was about it, because it's you could maybe argue it's been better since he's been gone. People love the OJ thing. I didn't like it that much. I thought it was kind of overrated. I like parts of it. Didn't need to be six hours or whatever it was, uh, but some of them have been fantastic. Some of the ones they have coming are fantastic. The brand is just as good as it's ever been. Are you a little surprised by that at all? And are you waiting to find out if he's going to bring his documentary acumen to HBO and how so? Uh, no, I'm not surprised at any of this at all because having um, you know I know the people who are uh, in charge of the ESPN films, and I think Simmons was very important in terms of the beginning, like you said coming up with um, the concept with some other people in the room and pitching really good documentarians and pitching ideas. But ultimately, th- that that's a real business, and they have films people who have worked there since the beginning, and the films people are the ones who have the connections to these great documentary uh, filmmakers, and the documentary filmmakers are the ones who make it happen. Um, Simmons could not, uh, could, could not just sort of... He doesn't have the skill to go out and shoot a documentary. He was an ideas person, and from the initial conversations that he had with people at ESPN, you know, this sort of idea was born. So I think you always have to give him credit for being there at the beginning. But I'd say I'm not surprised at his success, and to be honest with you, he, um, he he's not of the filmmaking world. It's the, the people at ESPN Films who have all these contacts with documentary people, who have worked on now these projects for year after year, you know, those are the people who make it happen. Um, I think Bill would be really well served if he could hook up with some talented people. And he obviously, I mean, he is part of that Hollywood community. He doesn't know a lot of people, and he's got a high-powered agent. He, he would be well served if he could hook up with a really talented filmmaker and be part, whether it's executive producer or whatever the role would be, be part of a really good documentary at HBO. I think it would help him... Um, uh, it would be a really good one. It would be probably fun to work on, but two, I think it would be a really good, for lack of a better way, phrase, kind of positive press for him uh, after the uh, failure of his HBO show. And the thing about HBO is that they'll always invest money in these projects. So if you get the right filmmaker, you know they can make something great. They just announced that they're doing a docu series on the Yukon women, and you know they're going to spend a lot of money in terms of making that series interesting. You see what they do with Hard Knocks. Yeah, hard so they're, knocks they're never great. not afraid to spend money. So if I was Bill, 
and he still had these connections at HBO, which I assume he does, I would, I would, I would put together a group of people who could make some, uh, some really good sports documentaries and just sort of get the executive producer credit. But he's, I'm not surprised at all because it's not like Bill is going out and shooting these interviews or doing these interviews. He was, you know, he was one of the, he was one of the people on the credits, but he, I don't think he was the most important person on the credit. Right. I think we've learned that for sure. Uh, I'm going to pull a dice here. we got one or two more things, and I'll let you go. And then after everything, uh, I'll just keep saying there's one or two more things. Right. Uh, that's what love you that. do. I love that, yeah. It's a great move. Uh, what have you learned about podcasting, doing your show the last uh, few months? Uh, how has that podcast evolved? Are you happy with it? What do you want to do in 2017 with it? Uh, I think one thing I'd like to do more of them, maybe multiple times a week. I, one thing I've learned is if you do multiple podcasts a week, I think you you can really expand your audience. You sort of move up on the iTunes charts. Uh, once a week is good, especially for a niche podcast like mine. But I may try to have a number of weeks where I do two guests. Um, the other thing I learned is that the magic really happens not from the podcast in my position, but the producers. We uh, we you know you're independent, so well, I have what's great a producer? respect for what you do. <laughs> Yeah, we, we have we have a company now that, you know, digital media that did for the Sports Illustrated Podcast Division. So I have a producer who produces it. I have a sound, uh, you know, sort of an audio engineer who does the mixing and cleans it up if the lines aren't good. So my respect for those behind the scenes has just gotten greater. I mean, when we started this stuff, it was most of us who were just kind of trying to figure it out on our own, uh, you know, really like just using programs off a of Mac. It didn't sound great at all. So the thing that I'm really happy about is that the the professionalism of my podcast in particular has just in the last year just, you know, soared immensely. It just sounds like a professional podcast now. So then you know, it's up to me to get compelling guests, but I I, I have a niche podcast. So I, I, I'm never gonna get the audience of a part of my take or Simmons. I, I'm just trying to do interesting interviews and to get, like, um, you know, a solid base of, like, you know, let's say between 25,000 and 50,000 listeners. Uh, if I can do that on um, most weeks in my podcast or, you know, a little lower, or, you know, maybe if something really blows up a little higher, I think it's a successful podcast. But I, I'm never going to be, you know, floating in the worlds of the ESPNs and stuff because, we one, I don't have a distribution engine like that, and, two, it's, it's ultimately it's niche it's niche content as you know when you interview people in the media you know you're not bringing on uh, Dak Prescott you know and you're not you don't have like ESPN audio to push it out on ESPN.com and stuff so uh, so I think the things I learned is that I think you just you really need good behind the scenes people and you just have to try to you know do the best you can with your content and then push it really hard which I've tried to do on Twitter for sure. Yeah, I don't get pardon my take. My brother, my younger brother, loves that, and I think I'm too old for it. I don't. I tried a few times. I, I don't get it at all. It's, I think I, I, the reason I like that podcast, and I've been on it once. It's just it's just, it's, the, it's very authentic. The, the two guys who is it? Um, yeah, they, I think they are. They're not pretending to be anything. They're not. Obviously, Ugh. the PFT commenter is. It's a shtick on a you know a ridiculous commenter in football. But they're authentic to the brand, and it's different, and it feels fresher than some other podcasts. So I think that's that's why it's interesting. But yeah, I, I don't. I think its appeal is to the barstool crowd that's thirty and under. But I think the reason they've had success is I think they they just they have an authentic podcast that doesn't feel as overproduced as like. And this is no disrespect to them, but you know, but like a Mike and Mike or some Fox Sports radio show. Right. Yeah, I don't know. I just I guess I'm. 
I, like I said, I'm not under 30 anymore, so I guess I just don't get it. My brother loves man, it. You become a year old man with a kid. <laughs> yeah, my brother loves it, so good for them. Uh, all right, we'll do this last thing. Last thing makes sense to end here. It's almost 2017. People hated 2016 with a passion. Uh, in the world, in your world, your beat, sports media, what are you looking forward to in 2017? What do you want to learn about? What do you want to see happen? Uh, what's going on in the sports media beat in 2017? Well, I think one of the big stories, obviously, will be the NFL ratings, and we'll see next September what happens if uh, if if this was about the election, if it was about uh, too many uh, too many bad games, a lot of you know lack of star quarterbacks, uh, too many national windows for not enough good teams. Uh, so we'll see if this was a blip or if it was a trend. If next year the NFL ratings continue to go down, then you know there's something more fundamental in terms of the NFL, uh, than just a sort of an election year blip. Um, Wait, before you move off of that, sure. isn't it just that maybe the ratings peaked kind of at an unsustainable point and we're just seeing a could little be. bit of a correction? And then maybe yeah, this be. year that correction was kind of extreme because of the factors of the election, the other things we've all known about, you know, maybe bad quarterbacks, bad matchups, maybe a little right. bit of saturation. And that now you're, you're kind of seeing it climb up. I don't think we're going to that until next year. Right. Yeah, no, that's a, yeah, that is interesting. You might be right, though. I mean, you know, ultimately, you know, logic says something can't go up forever. Right. And so maybe it was going to be a course correction. Um, can't you just see them uh, getting Cowboys-Oakland, setting a Super Bowl record, and just cruising past this like it never happened, though? I, I do think that would be Cowboys so Patriots, Cowboys-Patriots will set a record, and I do think they'll have a great rating story. So, yes, I think... In the end, the year can end on such an up yeah. note. Uh, I would say that for anybody who's interested in this, just look at the ratings without the Cowboys. That that's what the NFL really should be scared about, because those are really, really, really down. Um, so I think that's that's far and away uh, to me. Some, you know, because the NFL is the biggest dog on the block. On a uh, on a more of a recent scale, I'm going to be very curious to see what the ratings are for college football and to see if um, right. Another because, uh, the, game, the game is on New Year's Eve this yep. year, but it's on a Saturday. So we'll see if um, you know there's a return of a large audience there. I, I think that's grown to the second biggest sport in this country. So to me, that will be really an interesting indicator. I think obviously one of the big stories you have to watch is uh, subscription uh, declines for ESPN, ESPN2, NBC Sports, Fox Sports 1, Corn and cutters. people continuing to migrate away from cable. Right. Um, you know, that's that's not just a 2017 story. That's an ongoing story. Um, that, that, that's And then finally, you know, in with a new president um, and in a very different era, I'll be interested to see um, just what the role of sports is. Does sports turn into, a, like, an escapism that all of us can agree on, or does the divisiveness somehow hit sports as well and, and impact us in the sports media space? So that's... That'll be something I'll be interested to see, and I don't think we're going to get the answer on that one until you know March, April, May, June. So those are at least are a couple of things I'll be looking for. Two quick follow-ups to that. One is that with college football, for me, the problem wasn't the, the day of the week. The problem was dinner. I The only thing I care about on New Year's Eve is not the stupid 12 o'clock countdown or anything. that I could care less. I would go to bed if I could. What I care about is going to eat a nice dinner. And I couldn't find a time. I'm a pretty big Oklahoma fan. I had a friend when I was younger who played D1 football at Oklahoma. I followed Oklahoma since 1987 or so. I, I went to dinner at halftime. I, I had to go. I, I had steak waiting for me. What could I do? Just because it's Saturday doesn't mean I gotta, I'm got i not going to eat steak. 
When am I supposed to watch that first game? When am I supposed to eat dinner, college football? That's that's true. Yeah, and listen, it's, it shouldn't be on New Year's Eve. It's a terrible date. There's Ridiculous. no way they'll probably get a little bit of a relief this year. But I'm with you. It's just it's a it's awful to make people choose, and that's what they're doing. Oh, and about divisiveness, I'll tell you what. I could care less about women's soccer usually. But right. man, do I love when Team USA is playing because we can all go on Twitter and be on the same team, and it's so fun. Yeah, it's and so it's also, fun. Generally speaking, it's a good team. Yeah, so, yeah, that's you know, why I didn't say the men. men. Yeah. The men team, <laughs> that's why I said women, yeah, not men, because uh, yeah, they don't. That's not quite as fun. But yeah, the women, it's fun. Man, it was really fun last summer when Carrie Lloyd has got her first goal, second goal, third goal, and your feet is just going do 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 do, and it's yeah, USA it cool. and especially flags. the. Uh, yeah. The uh, the Lloyd shot uh, from like seventy yards out or whatever. Right. It was Nasty. All right, Richard Deitch is at Sports Illustrated. He's at Richard Deitch on Twitter, where he is a bit of a heel. If you're one of the sixty-two million Trump voters, <laughs> uh, he's also at si.com, of course, in his podcast. Which I don't know, is it the Sports Illustrated Media Podcast? Is that the name? What's the correct. name? That's correct. That's, That's the, name. the name. Okay, the Sports Illustrated Media Podcast is available on iTunes and wherever podcasts are found. What questions do you have for me, Richard? I have absolutely no questions for you. <laughs> I mean, at this point, I'm looking to go. I'm looking to have steak and go to sleep. So, listen, I'm happy for the podcast success. It's exciting to see that you you're, you're continuing this. What year is this now? Uh, we started in 2011, the day after Cam Newton won the national championship at Auburn. Oh, wow, right. year five. Yep. Coming up on year six. Yep. Uh, I have a second no, podcast you, you, now. You, you answer my questions about Buffalo and what things you know? What's going on with the expansion of that city? So, uh, you know, I, that's that's. I appreciate that. I'm always happy to see my old city do well. And I know you That's, love the uh, you love the Lonely End of the Ring podcast that I do with Adrian Dater, strictly about I'm, hockey. I, I did see that uh, you have you have expanded your podcast empire, yeah. which means you should, I hope you guys have gotten Michael Farber as a guest. Uh, we no, well, no brainer. Michael Farber was on the the uh, Sportscasters podcast, and he did not enjoy it. So we have not gotten to him just yet. I was a little bit aggressive. Well, Elliot Friedman was on recently, right? Great. Elliot Friedman was on. He was amazing. Scotty Bowman was on, 14-time Stanley Cup winner. Bob McKenzie. Wow, yeah. Bob that, McKenzie that was be, on. Uh, Scotty Bowman is a good get. Yeah, Bob, I'm impressed by. Bob McKenzie was our first okay. guest. Why don't, you guys go for, why don't you go for Gretzky one of these days? We will go for Gretzky. We're going to have Joe Sackick soon, the GM of the sure. Colorado. Oh, love that. Yeah. Yeah, We're so. not the Dater guy because Dater used to be in Colorado. Exactly. He's exactly. still there. Yeah, he's still got his connections there. Good to see that you're, you're using all Dater's context to promote your own career. Hell yeah. He's got to be good for something, Dater. That's there you go. <laughs> all right, listen, all right, Steve, this, has been, this is probably yep. going to be the most exciting thing I do today, so thank you very much. What, hanging up on me or the, or the podcast in general? <laughs> the podcast in general. <laughs> all right, thanks, buddy. All right, Steve, thank you. See All right, I want to thank Richard Deitch and Joe Buck for being on the podcast today. Don't forget you can hear this podcast and all of our podcasts on our SoundCloud page, www.soundcloud.com slash sports-casters. You can also find us on iTunes, Stitcher, and hopefully in any podcast catcher out there. If there's one that you're like, man, I can't get it to work, let us know. We'll investigate it and figure it out. Yeah, and if you didn't hear earlier, like I said, if they have a search iTunes part of it, search just sports-casters in the iTunes part, and it will come up. And if you need to get in touch with us, your podcatcher isn't working, you can email us, the sportscasters at gmail.com, or you can find us on Twitter. I'm at sports underscore casters, and Don is at Don Lake Sports. 
We're also talking today about maybe redoing our Facebook page since we don't have sports-casters.com right now. That got lost in the switchover. Yeah, we do own the name still, so it would just right. be a matter of And actually, we might actually revive that site. But it would be a very simplified version. Right, but either way, we want to have some kind of home base where people... Like Kyle Brandt, I know, for example, when he came on, he said, I went on sports-casters.com and check, it checked it out. No, oh, it was good oh, when he time. came on. Right, right, right. You know, and I read the abouts and I went, you know, and looked at the guests. And okay. We need something like that where people who don't know us can find out we're legit, you know, right. without going to iTunes. So uh, so the sportscast, the, the Facebook page is facebook.com slash the sportscasters. So let me give you all that one more time www.soundcloud.com slash sports-casters is the main hub, I guess. Right. That's who's hosting the podcast now, essentially. Uh, they beam the podcast out to iTunes and to Stitcher and to hopefully all podcatchers out there. You can email us if you're having any problems at thesportscasters at gmail.com or find us on Twitter at sports underscore casters or at downlike sports. And our Facebook is facebook.com slash thesportscasters. One last plug. The Lonely End of the Rink podcast is also on SoundCloud, soundcloud.com slash lonelyrinkpod. You can find that podcast on Twitter, at lonelyrinkpod. And the guest this week is Jeff Merrick from Sportsnet, and we talk about World Juniors. Awesome. One last thing for me this week has to do with uh, kind of the Bills decision going forward. I get what you're saying about if you're going to cut across the board, cut across the board. I just feel like at this point they should have a decision made about Tyrod. And if they have a decision made about Tyrod, then I, maybe that's what they're showing right now is Rex feels secure in his job. The decision is made. Tyrod is their quarterback going forward, and they're going to play him. But if they're going to come forward next year with a different quarterback and they're letting Tyrod play these games, A, this would be a perfect three-game spotlight for Cardale Jones. Uh, get him in there. You, you got – I know nobody's easy in the NFL or any cliche like that, but you have a good matchup to, to get him started, a home game against Cleveland. Um, get him in there. And the other thing is, if there's any chance that you are still unsure, first of all, I think it's ridiculous if you're unsure about it one way or the other. But if you're unsure and Tyrod gets hurt in any of these games, you are on the hook for that contract if he can't come back and play next year. Like if he's got any significant injury, that he you have to pick up the option on him. And I think that's a huge risk. Now, going into the season, there was a lot of optimism, I think, for the Bills. Yeah, I was one of them, um, sure. You know, cautious optimism. Yeah. The optimism you can have when 16 years have passed since you've been to the playoffs. Right. Now, if going into the season you made a decision that you were going to protect Cardinal Jones, that this was going to be a red shirt for him, yeah. that he was going to stay back, he was going to learn, we weren't going to expose him to the things that can happen to rookie quarterbacks out on the field, has there been enough since then, if that was the plan, maybe not to avoid that plan. Maybe not. And, but if that's not the plan, um, you still have EJ on the roster who's shown to not be that good in spot duty. So give him a three-game tryout, and if you're not going to keep around, cut them both. Have Cardale yeah, I think they know EJ's gone regardless, right? Yeah, I would think. Yeah, maybe. His that's true. Up, I, I guess so. that's true. What is he going to do yeah. in three games? To it's not, not even like if he lights it up, you can trade him. No, right. The only thing you'd be doing for him is – giving him a chance to cash in in free agency because yeah. they're not going to sign him. I mean, just the more I see quarterbacks. No, I was just curious what you thought about if they had a specific plan in place 
to, to, I guess to you redshirt him I guess you if you were willing him. to break that class. I guess you don't yeah. want to ruin him. I, but then you're weighing the options of potentially ruining the he young he was guy. a very, very, very raw yeah. talent. I mean, he was not – got to remember that he came in at the end of that wonky year where they won the national championship, played like three or four games, right. and then flip-flop between him and Braxton Miller and – the kid that's there now the next year, they all played. Yeah, I mean, I guess you ruin... He's really raw. You you could maybe put him in too early. But then you're weighing the risk of him being in too early versus Tyrod hurting himself and then being on the hook. The thing him. I'd be worried most about with him is right now there's still a mystique. There's still a, with amongst the fans. Yeah, there's maybe. still a hope. If you bring him out too early and he looks bad... No one will have any confidence in him. I guess I'll wait and see on this. If they're going to end up firing Rex and not signing Tyrod anyway, then this decision, in hindsight, will will make me angry. Like, why put him in there? The only person that benefits to have Tyrod in this game is Rex Ryan on his right. Well, yeah. Well, Rex Ryan is about to put an unproven quarterback in and risk losing at home to Cleveland to the zero and thirteen right. Yeah, I just which I think is uh, the last coach was in this position too. Where they wanted and it was some, horrible. They it was wanted horrible decision. Someone else in. They and, played Kyle Orton over EJ Manuel right? in a meaningless right. game. Yeah. yeah, it was it was terrible. I guess I think at that point, um, the person to be mad at them would be management because he or ownership really because ownership has to step in. Like, That's the advantage to firing a guy before the last week. If Rex is on the, you don't chop- have a guy playing for his job. Right. Yeah. If Rex is on the chopping block anyway, and you let him play these three games out and chance, they shouldn't. These three games really shouldn't matter. They no. should. They should know right now. Man, other the only thing that like something catastrophic, like if they lost forty-five to nothing to Cleveland, right. and you want to change your mind and fire them, fine. But other than that, they should know. Right. So I guess what I, yeah, I get back to that. If they're going to keep everyone around for the reasons you stated earlier, continuity and whatever, fine. But if they're not, I think it's a mistake to to go into this week the way they are. And the other thing is, every year as a Bills fan, when you see a Russell Wilson come out of the fourth or third round, and you see a Dak Prescott maybe winning the Rookie of the Year this year. Draft one every year. Just you can't go with the old school thought that you have to draft uh, top of the first round, and then the guy's got to sit behind someone and learn. All these guys are thrown. And Derek Carr was an early pick, but they threw him to the Wolves. And, second round, yeah. Oh, okay, second round pick, and he's been great. I mean, growing pains. Maybe, maybe then you get a guy like that. Blake draft Bortles. is going to haunt the Bills franchise forever. I mean, because they could very easily have those two Raiders. I mean, they could very easily have Mack and Carr. Right. Yep. So, I mean, that draft is going to haunt yep. them forever. They they claimed, and I know I said it on the podcast then, like why you would admit this, but they claimed they wanted Russell Wilson when uh, he got yeah. drafted. Yeah. It's like, well, you could guess who could have done something yeah, about it. They him? loved Russell Wilson, according yeah, so to much their that they evaluations. Let him go. And I look back at my live blog that I did for Pro Player Insiders for that draft, and when the Bills made the trade, I was like, wow, the Bills are going to take Mac here. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, what a gutsy move. They're not going to let that guy get out of Buffalo. And then it was a wide receiver and the most wide receiver heavy draft in the history of the NFL. And I love Watkins, but he's never going to be able to make that trade worthwhile. He's going to have to be Andre Reid probably. I've always said that I was okay with that deal if they thought Watkins was the best. And I don't think Beckham was a good example. Beckham's the one that people will throw out there, but – what was he like? The twenty sixth? No, of teams. he was eight picks later. It was eight picks later. Yeah. Okay. The reason people the biggest the reason people forget about Beckham is because he was hurt all camp, so he wasn't a big fantasy guy. That's why people think Beckham was like an afterthought. Beckham was picked before Cooks was. 
Okay, you know, maybe Cooks is the guy. I'm Cooks of. was twentieth. So Beckham was only eight picks later. Yeah, the bigger. So in between, the bigger problem is Mike Evans. But Mike Evans would have been gone before they picked if they well, stayed at nine. Yeah, but that's assuming that Cleveland or somebody. I guess that would have. Yeah, Watkins would have had to foul someone. Cause One we, of those two would have had to fall back from where they were picked. Right. Okay. If you're going to get Evans. I think you're clean in saying Evans and Watkins would have been gone by nine. But that still leaves Beckham Beckham and Cooks and Allen Robinson. And, I mean, we could go through 30 wide receivers that have been better than Watkins probably. I mean, all the talking heads here said Evans or Ebron were kind of the choices they were going to have to make. Right. I I guess Ebron hasn't shown anything yet. No, Ebron hasn't made you regret it. But he's been hurt, so who knows. But, yeah, I, I, I guess I was angry when I heard that Rex wasn't fired, and I was angry when I heard that Tyrod was going to start again. But we'll see. We'll see what the decision is because if if they keep him on, then I guess all right, that's their decision. Then is to go forward and have some continuity. But if they fire him after these games, that's ridiculous to me. All right. One last thing for the sixth season of the Sportscasters. The last few years, I've been dying as a fantasy player. I've been. Losing interest quickly after the drafts. My teams haven't been as good as they were in the past. I've been getting frustrated how people who know way less than me can show up with cheat sheets and beat me. <laughs> which that didn't happen ten years ago. I mean, if you all you had was a cheat sheet, it was from a magazine that was printed in April and you were dead. Right. And that's just not the way anymore. There's so much research done by smart people like Matthew Barry and Michael Fabiano. Right. I kind of had a little bit of a rejuvenation this year with fantasy. I had five teams. Four of them made the playoffs. The one that didn't had the third most points in the league. And I had two losses by less than two points that probably kept me out of the playoffs there. Kind of bad luck. You can you can take it in one league. Um, in two of the leagues, I had the most points. And in two of the leagues, I had buys. So overall, really great season. Yeah. One of my teams is probably the best team I've ever had. Um, and getting ready to play in the semifinals with that team this week. Um, my dynasty team, I went into the off se- to the draft that night with a plan, and I executed the plan perfectly. I knew that Drew Brees wasn't protected, and I wanted to pick him. I did. I knew that I had an extra first-round pick, and I wanted to turn it into a, a number one running back, and I turned that pick and a wide receiver. I wanted to turn that pick and Des Bryant into a running back. Instead, it was that pick and Amari Cooper were turned into Le'Veon Bell, who's super young yeah. and killing it. Um, man, I, that was the only bad thing about having a bye last week is watching the 53 points for Le'Veon Bell sit unused uh, for that team. But I don't know. I just felt like I got my edge back a little bit. You know, I am going to lose in your league to a guy who picked people who begin with D the whole entire draft. <laughs> Um, I think your league is one league next year. Well, your league and another league, I, I think we got to make some decisions and make some changes because we can't have guys screwing up the whole league by trading for Le'Veon Bell for Stefan Diggs for no reason. And if that kid doesn't keep Stefan Diggs, which he's not bound to, and he might decide, he, I'm going to lose my mind. I'm be really mad. He better <laughs> the, fucking keep Stefan. The Diggs. only thing I would say about that is you did criticize the trade, but did you offer him anything for Le'Veon Bell? Well, no, because, I mean, I didn't know he was available for nothing. 
I mean, I gave him a keeper. Okay, so I mean, I have, I'm loaded with them. I could have given him right. Sterling Shepard or Corey Coleman or – I mean, I'm loaded with guys like that. I just didn't know. Because, I mean, you I also th- I also thought he was eliminated. I mean, I, it, technically he was like mathematically still oh, alive okay. by like a contair. You know, I thought, yeah, I don't think we made that rule. I don't didn't we, we ever, make the rule that if you're eliminated, you can't trade? I don't trade? think we ever did because it oh, only came up that did. one time. I don't think I, – I remember the scenario you were talking about. I could have swore we did because I thought you even said on the updates one time, like, this person's the only one eliminated and they can't trade. No, I didn't say that. Oh, I, I thought you I did. know I was picking, the, picking on the girl well, that was eliminated. Man, but, we need that rule because people – Yeah, but it's a keeper league now. You can't, you can't keep people from improving their chances the next year. I got Odell Beckham in a keeper league when a year I was, like, 3-10. and 10. Yeah, I just I have a feeling he's not even going to keep Diggs. That'd be a mistake if he didn't keep him. Well, I don't want to get off into a personal like okay. total. Th- I mean, because nobody cares about this right. really. We can talk this. Yeah, out. I had a good year except for my dynasty league. Uh, I had an okay year in the dynasty league though. I got a lot of talent. I'm going to end up cutting a bunch of guys that are probably going to get drafted. I've, I've got a good team, just they weren't all that good this year. Yeah, well, my point was is I had fun, more fun this year than I had in a while, and I guess it helps when you're winning. Um. I started. I got off to great starts because I had Breeze and Cooks on almost every team, yeah. and in the first few weeks they had those weeks where Cooks had a 98 and an 87 yard touchdown. Oh yeah, and I mean that just blows up your team right away. Right, it got me kind of off and running. That team that I think is the best I've ever had. I had Melvin Gordon, Ezekiel Elliott, and Lashawn McCoy, and was able to play all of them every week. And Jordy Nelson, Andrew Breeze, and Travis Kelsey. I mean, just Jeez. stack beyond belief. Um, but I wanted to throw out to end this a couple of looking back on the fantasy season. Who do you think was the MVP of the fantasy season? I didn't have him in any leagues, but I think it's got to be David Johnson. Um, you could maybe make the argument for Le'Veon Bell, but he missed four games, and David Johnson in those or three games, and David Johnson was doing exactly what Bell is doing in those three games. Maybe Ezekiel Elliott could have had that argument earlier on, but he's kind of slowed down a little bit. He still gets 100 yards every week. Yeah. I guess it depends on He's great. On the, problem with, the problem with Ezekiel Elliott is people knew he was going to be great. So he was a first-round pick. Like it wasn't, well, so is Johnson, right? Well, right. But, I mean, sometimes you'll, the MVP will be a guy that was drafted in the fifth round. Because yeah, I think this year the first-round guys ended up being so bad that it's the first-round guy you like the best. Like – People picked Robinson, bust. People yep. think Julio Jones, you can say, was a bust for a first round. few good games, one game he won you the week, that's it. You could say it was a bust. Yeah. Uh, Beckham, first half of the year, didn't live up to expectations at all. He's had a few better games this year. You know, Antonio Brown's been good, not as good, even close, not worth the first overall pick for sure. Uh, okay, though. Yeah, the thing with those guys that maybe you don't like is they're, they're not, not putting bust, monster just numbers, okay. but they're consistent, and that's kind of what you want in your first round. Um, so I wouldn't. Be- but then Allen Robinson, yeah, he's, first he's down, a bust. trash. Yeah, Gurley, yeah, trash. He's a bust. Uh, you know, I can't think of every. I have Gurley in Dynasty. In I don't know round. what to do. Like he's, you got to hold him, but oh yeah, you can't release him. No, you can't. You definitely can't just release. Try him. Try to trade him. Yeah, he's just he's worthless. What's right he worth? Now. Nothing. Yeah. We're in the same dynasty league. I'll give you Curtis Harris Payne for him. (laughs) I'll think about it. All right. Uh, Yeah, there's got to be – I mean, David Johnson's an easy pick, but some people probably picked him first overall. Hopkins Hopkins. is a mess. I mean, is there there an argument to be made that someone picked way later? I mean, Tom Brady maybe could be the fantasy MVP, uh, but it's a quarterback. Drew Brees definitely or Matt Ryan. 
Yeah, Matt Ryan might be a good one. Drew Brees had a better argument two weeks ago than he does now, obviously, because he might have eliminated you either. Sure. If you needed him to get into the playoffs, he didn't help you. And if you need him to win that first round, he didn't help you. Yeah, I'm trying to think of any guys that were kind of sleeper picks. Did anyone emerge this year really out of nowhere? I mean, Matt Ryan maybe is that guy. Yeah, Matt Ryan I think is the best example. Um, what about the best rookie? Matt, it's, it's Zeke Elliott. Besides Elliott. I don't know, maybe in Dynasty, Dak Prescott. I don't, uh, am I miss, missing any? Uh, maybe Sterling Shepard. Yeah. Um, yeah, he's been up and down, too. I wonder if that's more Eli than it is either. He scored Tennessee. a lot of touchdowns, right. which has been nice. He doesn't get a lot of catches every week. That Hunter Henry has a lot of touchdowns, but not a lot else. He's got like six touchdowns. Derek Henry's. if you're in Dynasty, he's... is a guy you're glad you have. Yeah, somebody asked me about Oh, DeMarco Murray might be the MVP. That's a guy that we talked about. Fourth round. You know, a guy who was picked way later than his value ended up being. He could be. He yeah, was... someone asked me about keeping him next year. Murray? And I said, as good as he Hell was. Yeah. But his, uh, he, it was in a different league. Him? It was in a different league where you can only keep one player. Oh, okay. And he That's had a, a later story. keeper, and he'd have yeah. to keep Murray like in the second. And I said, I'd be a little worried to take him there with how good Henry's been, too. I don't, I don't know. Yeah, Henry looks like he's going to be a player in the league, but we also haven't seen what Henry looks like the week after 30 carries. Yeah. And he's a big load of a guy. Jay Ajayi was looking like he maybe could have been. Yeah, he had those two weeks. Two weeks in a row. But he has, he's only had one good week since. Yeah. Um, Who's a guy you picked in a league that you'll never pick again now because it's just such a miserable experience? Allen Robinson was a second rounder for me. I kind of criticized the guy that let him I go. I was in a league where he was picked fourth overall. Wow. Allen By Robinson. a Jags fan? Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, I got him at like 14. So I got him early in the second round. I was kind of critical of the guy that let him slip. I think the guy that – because it had similar keeper rules to my league where you keep him like two rounds – earlier than you drafted him the year before. So I think he would have been like a fourth rounder. And the guy let him go back into the draft. And I thought it was a mistake. I think he kept Tyrod or somebody instead. But he must have known something I didn't because he's been totally worthless this year. And the only games that he's had that were okay were saved by touchdowns. He's been worthless. Yeah, Alan Hearns, we knew would regress. I don't think we thought he'd regress this much. He's been a that, disaster. That's, that's Blake Bortles. Like Blake uh, Bortles was at least a fantasy. Yeah, the whole Jags team was a nightmare. Yeah. Everything about them sucked. Trying to think what else fantasy. Best first round pick would probably be David Johnson. Yeah. Um I don't know. I had a fun year. It was a rejuvenation for me a little bit. Do you think next year people go back to running backs? This year was kind of the year yeah. that it was like unless this is an anomaly, but receivers were usually kind of the well, more who, consistent thing. Who if you're who's a first round running back next year? Bell. David Johnson, Bell, Ezekiel Elliott. Gordon. I guess he'd have to be right. I yeah. mean, unless his injuries really, but I mean, I guess you got to start. He's already day to day. It's not going to be an injury. It's going to well, keep no, you away right, from him right. next year. But I mean, Beckham's still a first rounder. Antonio Brown's still a first rounder. Is that it? Maybe Julio's Julio, probably maybe a first back rounder. end. So maybe Gronkowski really... isn't anymore. He dropped out. Yeah, that that position should have dropped out. I don't, yeah, Jimmy I, Graham might be the best tight end right now, and even well, he Kelsey's hasn't, the best. Well, yeah, Kelsey in terms of yardage, he doesn't score a lot, but that's kind of fluky. And catches, I mean, he's a hundred yards a week and six or seven catches. Yeah, in he's PPR. he's I, yeah. Uh, what about playing the game? Are you totally PPR now? Would you ever want to play in a league that wasn't PPR? No, the only thing is, I mean, if you've got a really I like to. I have two leagues, and I, they're on different websites. So maybe I shouldn't feel this way so much, but I like to keep the scoring scoring kind of standard. I like PPR because I think it shows. I think it's important. I think some of those catches 
might be for first downs or something like that, but it might only be a three-yard catch. But maybe, I guess, if you have a wild site, that's really maybe you can reward points for first downs or something, and then I could see getting rid of PPR. But then you never know the score. That's true. You'll but, never know what, how, many how many points, points your guys got. got. Right. So I think in absence of that, I think PPR is the way to go. I think what you could do is you could penalize drops if you really want to do like PPR but kind of somehow tweak it a little bit. Maybe you can criticize the guy for drops somehow. Like My one league is super quarterback heavy with in terms of points. Mm-hmm. And they want to have a super flex next year. So a uh, offensive flex, like another quarterback. This is like why uh, the first forty-five picks in the draft are be quarterback. <laughs> yeah. yeah, nobody's gonna not play two. So what's the point? Just have two QB spots. Those are the types of leagues you can kind of outsmart, though, because if all the quarterbacks are getting that many points, then they're not as valuable as people think they are. Like, look Except at the you day. have to have them. You can't put yourself in a position where you only have one of them. Oh no, no, no! I'm saying. In the way the league is now, yeah. If it's a two quarterback league, then you have to draft two quarterbacks. But I'm saying if all the quarterbacks are scoring crazy points, some people might think, "Well, I better get Aaron Rodgers first overall." Right? Yeah, no, that That's kills not the kills case. any team that does that. Right? Absolutely. All right. Well, I want to thank everyone who listened this year. I want to thank Don for being a great partner. I want to thank everyone who came on the show. Well, hopefully, everyone has a great Christmas and Hanukkah and Kwanzaa and New Year and anything we celebrate while we're off. And we will see you in 2017.